with him, your chances look bleak. He's awesome with computers, even better with math. But when it comes to graphics, this is British Wrestling Spotlight on the IndieCorner.com. I'm Benno. And I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And today we're back with uh, a slightly delayed show due to the the, the weather in uh, in our fair old country. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about that as we talk about Progress Sheffield, a show that almost got snowed off. Uh, we're going to talk about Progress London, Rev Pro Uprising, Fight Club Pro Infinity, and some Defiant Wrestling as well. And we'll have uh, some special guests uh, dropping in later on the show with some interviews that Joe and JP managed to find. But yeah, before we go any further, how are things? Is it still snowy in Oxford or how is it over there? It's starting to rain here today, so it's getting a little bit better. It's starting to clear away a lot of ice around the place. Lots <laughs> of humorous comedy videos to be made. Oh, well, at least they give you some time off to watch the uh, the World Tag League. Uh, obviously, that that very important New Japan tournament that everybody watches. Did you use your uh, your snow days at work to get that done? Yes, I did. You didn't. I watched a bit of the last day. If I watched any of the other bits. Oh mate, I was there from the young book, young book, the young lions match earlier on. Of course you were. Always, yeah. So <laughs> I, I ended up watching the whole lot almost completely by accident, and it was. I thought it was really good fun. What do you make of the Omega and Jericho stuff? I've been uh, oh, really into it. Absolutely. You've seen the press conference after? Oh, God, yeah. It's good stuff. I mean, it's kind of the thing with that match, isn't it? It's like, for me, I mean, they're avatar- they were advertising it as a dream match, but it was never a dream match for me. But now that they've made it personal, I'm, I'm far more interested, I think. This is Jericho, Shawn Michaels, 2008-level stuff at this point. Yeah. Which is probably my favourite feud ever, so I'm well up for that. <laughs> yes. Absolutely, I'm, I'm. And also, it stands out from anything else New Japan have done in a long time. That's one of the Hatefield rule type stuff in the last what? I can't remember Actually, the, last time. the Noah, um, the mm. Noah tag match with Shibata, with the headbutt, and the headbutt mm. on Nakajima. But that, that was... kind of went nowhere because they then sold. Well, Noah was then sold, and it was kind of abandoned, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he got completely abandoned at that point. <laughs> but it was, it was, um, yeah. Well into that one. Really looking forward. I mean, our mate Mark is going across there, isn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm jealous. I definitely want to make... The, they're the two things I want to do. I was at Progress Sheffield and lots of people were talking about going to uh, Germany for WXW next year. Um, maybe we could get a press pass eh, via the indie corner. Maybe we oh, could do that one. Oh, um, yeah. Japan as well. That's the, obviously... They're the two for me. They're the two places I want to get to. Mainly, I mean, Japan's the big one, but WXW would be fun too. I think a trip to Germany with a bit of Bundesliga mm. and a few beers is a very achievable prospect. Oh, yeah. A Dortmund, isn't there? Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, I mean, we're not here to talk uh, Germany or Japan. We're to- here to talk Brit Res. So let's get into it. I think I've been waiting for for the last couple of weeks. Joe, you managed to get to Progress on their Chapter 58 show. Um, you made your return to the ballroom. You made your return to Camden for Progress after a, a long while away. Um, how did you find it and uh, how was it as a show? Well, I walked through the doors of the ballroom and people were pelting me with rubbish, <laughs> staring at me, giving me evil. Stuff that in the corner guy. Yeah. And no. <laughs> um, you know what? I had good fun. Realised how much I kind of miss going mm. to those shows because um, it was a really good day. Uh, sounds weird. I really enjoy little things like the walk from the train station to the venue through Regent's Park. Mm. It's a really nice walk on a sunny Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, going to Fat Burger again before the show. Oh, got, yeah. some, uh, got some um, hot wings. and oh, tri- the best. Yeah. Did you go bone or boneless, though, Joe? Boneless, always oh, boneless. Be the way. Best, best wings in London for my money. Yeah, <laughs> bloody good. 
Um, went for some curly fries as well, so that was a good start to the day. Then <laughs> um, the show began, and that was good. I've got to say, um, there was some. It was a real mixed show. I thought. Mm. First off, I thought that the opener, the Riddle versus Travis Banks match, was the best opener match I've ever seen in any wrestling card ever. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think of better openers, and I was struggling to think of one that was as good as that. Um, I don't know if it loses a little bit on video, but mm. live, I was blown away by it. It was absolutely amazing. It was all I wanted from those two guys. It was hard-hitting. It was back and forth. Uh, the kind of fighting spirit that was used towards the end of the match as well really made a lot of sense as well, I thought. Mm. Just really, really great match. Possibly yeah. Travis Banks' best match, I think, for my money. Um, Altogether or in progress? Um, I, I'm trying to think of the one that I would say is better. Um, mm. And I honestly think it might be my favourite Travis Banks match ever, mm. if I'm honest with you. For me, definitely his best match in progress. Maybe some Fight Club Pro matches that I'm forgetting. Um but yeah, really great opener. Yeah, I, I mean, on the VOD, just to pick up on what you said, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was great, um, but I mm. probably wouldn't give it that higher praise. I, I, it was just a bit weird coming as the opener. I didn't feel ready for it. Uh, I think Matt Riddle had a, a flight to catch, didn't he? I think that was the reason. No, no, no. Matt Riddle fate was facing Alberto Del Rio. Oh, ah, right, later on. Evening, so we had to whip off to, to Yeovil to, <laughs> some, to go, yeah, to Somerset to <laughs> face a guy from Mexico, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but like you say, it was just a good, kind of evenly matched ma- uh, contest, wasn't it, between the two? It was, it was the story was Banks avenging his defeats, um, which is a good story progress to tell. I enjoyed. I mean, we we criticised the commentary. Just a, a point on the VOD, the he pointed out in the commentary that the tombstone had pinned Travis in Manchester. So when Riddle went for that for an ear fall, it gave it a little bit more uh, significance. Um, the, it was just a, a really enjoyable match, and it was just, yeah, it, this Banks heavyweight title run, this is the kind of thing you can do. He's just having solid matches, so although it took me back a little bit, it, it wasn't the end of the world putting it on first, was it? No, it wasn't the end of the world, but at the same time, the show did peak very, very early. Mm. There was almost no coming back from this. Like There was still still stuff on the show that I enjoyed. I liked the Eddie Dennis Jack Sexman stuff. I thought that was very good. I think Eddie Dennis as a heel has been one of the more interesting characters in wrestling in general uh, recently, so that was good. Um, there were a few little bits and pieces on the card, though, that I didn't like so much. I've got to say, the second half, once um, the debut of Valhalla Rob Lynch had occurred, <laughs> uh, the show never really recovered from that epic debut of a man looking like he just murdered a few blokes in a forest in Essex. Oh, um, I've got to say, um, it's just... I thought... it looked like to Primark and just bought black gear from Primark and turned up at the ballroom to me. But, I, th- hey. I, think I feel almost responsible because I've been tweeting about that, saying when they had the Valhalla teasers, I, I did a tweet something along the lines of Valhalla, Rob Lynch, or we riot. Just to shoot, as a joke, <laughs> assuming that, oh, I mean... I never in a million years believed it, but what is it about progress giving Davis and, and Lynch these very, the strangler and, and the, the Valhalla rising man? It's just, it's just it's strange. I mean, neither of them really have the looks to pull off these high concept gimmicks. The fans obviously love them, so it'll probably be fine and it'll probably be fun to see them kick shit out of each other, but go ahead. Would you like when Devon Dudley became a pastor? <laughs> has, has little hints of but that. But what is Valhalla about? Mm. What is like Roman about it? He just looked like a bloke. yeah. Like I said, he looked like a, a budget hitman. <laughs> no, I personally thought it was going to be either, but um, 
yeah, when I mean, I have to say, when I heard about this, I, the first thing I do was hear <laughs> what you had to say about it. It was hilarious. It was it was great. I enjoyed it, but it was also hilarious at the same time. Mm. And while I was into it, me and my brother were both pissing ourselves at the same time. So, uh, yeah, it was eventful to say the least. Um, and in a way, I don't want to say it overshadowed it. We then got Chris Ridgway's debut. Um, he'd had a match earlier in the night against Damon Moser for the. Uh, Tetsujin um, Freeze of whatever it's called tournament that's coming up in Liverpool mm. um, but then he made his official debut here against Timothy Thatcher in what was a perfectly good match I've got to say it was quite a nice match but like I said there was no coming back after this and in the second half we got two matches consecutively but Tony Storm versus Alex Windsor where no one's into Alex Windsor. She's pretty dull. Like, what? Why does anyone? Why would anyone care about her challenging Tony Storm? And they had a very bland match, to say the least, that kind of killed the crowd. And when they came back from that with Joseph Connors versus <laughs> Morgan Webster, or I might be mixing the, the order up there. I can't remember. But needless to say, these two matches just killed the crowd because mm-hmm. the Connors Flash match. I like Flash. He's good. But Connors is just so dull, and they're embracing boring heat, and embracing boring heat is the worst possible thing that you can do, because you're basically admitting that this guy is crap, and no one cares, and you're trying to use the fact that he's boring as a way to get him over, and to me, that just doesn't make any sense. I can't think of when boring heat has ever worked for anyone ever, and yeah, for me, Connors has got to be gone, to be honest, because... This was not good, and it killed people. And, yeah, it just wasn't interesting. It wasn't eventful. It went on way too long, and it just achieved very little. He's Mr. Generic, isn't he? And I thought the one thing... The other thing was he comes out to the most... I know the progress themes are quite generic anyway, but he's got the most generic music as well. That doesn't help. And I've always thought he had a bit of presence when he was in block culture, but I've not seen it since. And... I mean, it's just, it's really frustrating, isn't it? They took uh, Drake out of singles and put him in a tag team that seems to be working with Gibson. And we thought we that was the last of the boring singles guy in trunks and a beard. And they've just replaced him with Connors. He's doing the same thing that um, Drake was struggling to, to get over with. It's just, like you say, boring is not exactly a gimmick, is it? What I don't get, though, is what does Connors add that Dan Maloney or Jordan Devlin don't have? Mm. They're not used. Yeah. And they've got WWE contracts. It mm. just uses me like Dan Maloney would probably just be a heat machine I imagine yeah and, and he's got much better look as well he's got more personality and I'm sure he's probably just sat at home on a Sunday afternoon mm. I mean, watching on the the VOD what kind of I mean I, I'd agree on the Devlin point because Devlin is someone who's just he's on fire at the moment he's the OTT champion he's exactly he would be perfect in this role and he's doing similar stuff in in fight club pros as a big heel there so you think that would uh translate to progress but i mean the other thing i was going to say about this match was that i don't think it helped that flash hasn't been all that interesting in progress lately either um direction yeah what's he there for what's he doing mm. and it's kind of been this way ever since he came back from injury when he came back with haskins and it's a shame really because i mean i think flash's work has been actually sort of really good and we're going to talk about it in a bit in terms of him in rev pro and the the match he had to kind of pull off mm. in um at the cockpit especially against ryan small you know he's someone who's really gotten better and i and i think as well through listening to his podcast you have much more of an idea of of him as the person sort of behind flash are you a bit more naturally sympathetic sympathetic towards him but yeah i i, I it was it was horrible 
to watch this. Watch Joseph Connors. I yeah. yeah. I just wonder if sorry, uh, being miserable about it, but Flash needs something fresh, like a gimmick change, maybe just tweak here and there, hmm. um, get rid of the mod stuff possibly because I don't know what it is, but he just he's just not kind of doing anything in progress. I suppose that's the booking primarily. But he's kind of there as someone that's always over and that they obviously like, but they never seem to know what to do with him. He's just sort of there to put the other guy over, yeah. if anything. Mm. Yeah. A, run, a, a title sort of build-up would be nice to build up to, to a show later on in the year and go through sort of a six-month cycle maybe. That that would be something, but I don't see him doing it. No. I mean, what? the other problem I kind of had with the match as well is it felt like, just watching it on the VOD, it was the third match of the night where they kind of had excessive heel violence kind of leading to the finish. I mean, in the first half, I know you were critical on Twitter, Joe, about the, the structure of the show. And in the first half, you had uh, Haskins and Havoc, full-on murder, and uh, Vicky Haskins doing the kiss of death. And there was, please don't die and save the children chance. And then the match after, you kind of had Jack Sexsmith, who'd, Filled that same role um, yeah. recently for Haskins and Havoc. Now filling it for Eddie Dennis, who kind of did the same thing as well. And while I think it, it worked in definitely in the first instance with Haskins and Havoc, I think you can you can do too much of that on the show as well, can't you? You need to do maybe something different with your heels. I should have saved the um, Eddie Dennis and Sex with Fit for the second half of the show, I thought. Mm. Now, one of the things I also noted on this as well <clears throat> was the amount of just bland heels throughout mm. the entire show. And you think of progress and heels, and you think they've had great heels over the years, really. When you think Jimmy Havocs, of the one that you always come to when it comes to this, think Paul Robinson as well. Marty. Marty. But, and at the moment, I'd say the only really great heel on the entire roster is Gibson. Mm. And Gibson gives you, you know, something else as a heel. But the rest of these heels, James Drake, um, I, you know, I'm doing Eddie Dennis a disservice there, mm. actually. I was say about that. to say Dennis, yeah. Yeah, but James Drake, Joseph Connors, Alex Windsor, Strangler, Strangler Davis, okay? Um, I'm doing Ginny a disservice there as well, actually, to be fair. But some of the, like most of the heels on this card, Havoc and Haskins, again, I'm going to throw in there. What are they? What are they doing? Mm. Like, they're all very uninteresting. There's not a lot about them. There's not a great deal of kind of what their motivation is. It's all very kind of, I'm a heel because I'm a heel. Yeah. I don't feel like there's any real investment. The Havoc and Haskins thing, I can't get my head round. So they're there as these guys we're meant to hate. But then Jimmy Havoc's doing his new post-Jimmy yeah. Havoc heel turn thing, where it's like, yeah, I'm Jimmy Havoc, I'm everyone's yeah. man. Well, you've got Jim on the on the mic even on the intro to this match calling him the king of the goths still. I mean, you can't really do that kind of comedy when you're suppo supposed to be this heel. And I know they they seem to be purposely not doing the promo and not doing the explainer. But I, I mean, my, for me, I mean, Jimmy Havoc was back in the ballroom as a heel for the I think I believe the first time again. Um, I expected it to be a bigger event. And again, while I enjoyed kind of the full on murder and the, and the Haskins, uh, Vicky Haskins involvement as well. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the deal is with them and what the, the end goal is really. I know they were, there were two men like Flash Morgan Webster, weren't they in progress who maybe were uh, a little bit lost. Um, so this is an idea of something to do with them, but, uh, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent convinced on it so far. I don't know about you, JP. Yeah. I'm, I, obviously I like both of them. I mean, mm -hmm. watching both of them. It, this, though, I have to agree, it, it's kind of where is this come out of? I mean, 
obviously we'd we'd seen the the match at Alexandra Palace, but since then it it, it doesn't. I want to see what what's the despicable act that I'm meant to boo them for. Like I, you know, it sort of comes down to kind of those kind of essentials, and I, and I haven't got that connection with it, which is a shame because obviously I, you know we like both of them. But then Jim Sorman's walking around in a T-shirt that says "Cheer Fainters, Boo Heels," so it doesn't matter if we put generic heels; you just boo them. The T-shirt mm. says it, and the company says it. Ah, uh, well, I suppose the the other talking about heels. I mean, Joe, uh, you mentioned Zach Gibson being the the probably the best heel going in progress. I mean, maybe part of the fact that you've said that this was an uneven card is that I think progress were probably relying on this main event where this CCK against Gibson and Drake to be the big match, and it just because of uh, real-life issues, it, it kind of fell apart, didn't it? Yeah, and it felt very awkward in the building. And, you know, you can't be annoyed at this. This happens. Um, but at the same time, obviously the tag titles weren't meant to change hands here. I was on the train of a member of the uh, Progress, I don't know, I suppose, team roster at the end, and he told me that, um, yeah, the titles weren't meant to change hands. And to be honest, I think to anyone in the building who was kind of watching what was going on, mm-hmm. it did seem like there was an audible call because you could see Jim Smallman chatting to Chris Brooks and Chris Roberts quite uh, sort of intensely. Um, and then when Gibson won it, his reaction was quite odd as well at the same time. So it seemed like a bit of a surprise to them even. Yeah. Was- um, but it almost looked like they hadn't been clued in on the fact it was going to happen. It was all very odd. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of quite a good call from progress and quite a speedy mm, call because yeah. knowing what Lycos's injury was, to book like that on the fly and to realise actually no matter what they're going to have to drop these tag titles, I thought good going, like fair play to you for actually doing it. And you've got the Gibson who's going to be hot. And yeah, he's carrying Drake along as his kind of dead weight as yeah. well. I, I'm starting to... It, I'm waiting for the for his ring work to kind of be much more distinctive as mm. as well. Um, I'm thinking that there is some potential, depending on how long they go with it. Well, what I'll say is, what I find with Zach Gibson is, I've seen him with two other tag partners this year in Bowdoin and Charlie Sterling, and I feel like Zach Gibson's got more chemistry. Yeah. Bowdoin and Charlie Sterling, when he yeah. has the guy that he runs a training school with, who's his mate, it's very odd. Very, very odd. I don't know if that just speaks to the ability of the other two guys that I'm talking about mm. and Drake's like lack of ability or whatever when it comes to actually putting a character across and all the rest of it. But yeah, it's very strange. I think the the thing with Drake is I think he kind of he could be anyone. It's it's Gibson plus one this team, isn't it? Um, and there's something about that that works better. I mean, we'll talk about the uh, one of the other teams, the Bodum team, when we talk about Revpro later. But that for me felt like two individuals and I do think Gibson and Drake do feel more like a tag team even if it is essentially uh, team Gibson Um, I'm glad they've given up Drake trying to cut a promo at the start of the match and they've left it to Gibson Gibson to do it himself Um, it was a bit of a foreboding wasn't it when he did the line watch CCK where am I meant to watch them when they're always fucking injured Uh, it was quite a a cutting line when you know what was what was coming and just to add to what you were saying live Joe it was kind of weird watching it on the VOD because I was waiting for this Lycos injury to come and it was kind of an innocuous looking Tope Conhilo off the kind of the, the balcony uh, there's a bit of stairs at the top isn't there where, near to where Briley is um, where it came and it looked like he, he told Drake right away when it happened um, 
but I was kind of thinking when Lycos got launched into the chairs, I was looking right before that. I thought that's where the injury was because I was looking at it going, somebody with all the injuries that Lycos has had, why would you let someone do that to you? I mean, it was just, it's just unfortunate. I mean, these things happen, but I don't know what your take was. I couldn't work out where it happened either. I assumed it was off the tope. I was over the other side of the building. Mm. Clearly. Does anyone know what the length of the injury is at all? No, no. I think... Steady was going for a scan. Mm. Um, It's going to be a couple of months, Mm. right? At least. I'd really like to You'd imagine he'd make a try and come back for some time around March at latest, just because obviously that's, that's the busy season. I've got, I'd really like to see Chris Brooks use this as an opportunity, though, to try and brand, not not give up on CCK, but do a bit more singles work as well. Because it's, mm. it's an area that I definitely think that, I'm not saying I think he's bad by any means, but I'd like to see him just in singles a little bit more, getting a little bit more, picking it up in singles that little bit more as well. A few more singles matches in Fight Club Pro for him would be nice as well, to be honest, with him having the belt there. <laughs> yeah, he's the champion, wouldn't you know? Yeah. I suppose uh, my my other point I would make on the match, just watching it on the VOD, was if you hadn't told me that uh, that Lycos was injured, it almost looked like a work. It almost looked like the the type of story you could tell with with Lycos being uh, obviously he's had the injury issues in the past. If you were going to put the belts on Gibson and Drake, in a way, although it wasn't a great match and it was a little bit flat and they were left to improvise, it kind of put them over strong as these dicks who one injured Lycos. And then two spent the the rest of the match just taking apart Chris Brooks. So I do think in some ways it kind of worked there, and it was it was almost the type of thing you'd maybe book as a work to to get the the Gibson and Drake team over. Yeah, potentially it's a it's a decent way of thinking about it. I don't think it was. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can see where you're coming from, especially with the heel pro, heel promo beforehand. Because it almost tied into what happened in the match as well. It was almost, it was quite foreboding in a sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, did it encourage you then, Joe? I know we've had some critique of the show up and down, but are you encouraged to make the return to progress? Are you looking at that uh, that unboxing date still as a, as, a, as another time to get back to Camden? Oh, yeah, that was one that I always planned to try and get to because the unboxing show was so much fun last year and there'd probably be a few surprises, be a little bit different, and I'll be off work because it's the Christmas season as well. So I'll definitely be looking out on Twickets particularly for that. Whether I'd go back every month, I don't I don't think so at this point. Um, I'd, I'll pick and choose shows here and there, and if I've got a free Sunday, um, I might on a whim decide to. I decided on the Saturday night to go along on, a, on kind of a last-minute whim. So if I've got a bit of time on a Sunday, I'm not doing much. I might go along again. But yeah, it was it was nice to go back. Not the best show, but enjoyable at the same time and note and noteworthy as well. Well, speaking of going to see progress on a whim, um, for my uh, what I've been watching, I managed to get to Sheffield for the the following chapter. Whatever people say we are, that's what we're not. Um, it was a snowy day uh, in Sheffield. It was one of those days where a snowy Sunday where I was kind of thinking it's Derby Day here. Everton were playing Liverpool in the morning. Man United were playing City in the afternoon. What am I doing on a train to Sheffield in the in the worst snow day of uh, of the year in, in Britain? Um, and I think some of the wrestlers had those issues as well because uh, while I managed to get there and the snow wasn't too bad in Sheffield, there was all kinds of problems with the car, British Strong style being stuck in Ireland. 
Mark Andrews, Flash Morgan Webster both had travel woes as well. Um, it was a whole uh, reshuffle in the end for progress in Sheffield. And I've got to say, it actually made for for quite a, a an interesting live experience in the end being there for 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 a show that again with an unboxing vibe um i went with uh, with martin a british audio wrestler who joins us on the show uh last time um and we were both saying that actually as much as we were looking forward to the the card as it was laid out and missing those big stars was was certainly um an issue um, but overall, it was kind of cool to be there at a show where you didn't really know what was coming. I mean, there was some negatives to that. JP, your favourite uh, wrestler, Chuck Mambo, uh, got himself a booking uh, on the day against uh, one of our other favourite wrestlers, Joe Connors. But it was a really enjoyable show to to get to see these uh, some of these younger wrestlers maybe uh, step up and, and, and give a good account of themselves. Yeah, yeah it, looks, oh. it looked like an interesting... I mean, seeing the different seeing how many debuts do they have on this card well yeah i mean i think smallman kind of got on the mic at the start of the show and was saying that there was a lot of people who'd come to the show as with the indication that they would be working ring crew that ended up on the show um yeah so i mean there was the likes of uh, adam chase who who got a match with with chris ridgeway who looked really good i don't know if is chase someone you're aware of he was on the the white wolf team at uh shikara's king of trios in, in birmingham a couple of months ago uh, he had a really good show, and I don't know if either of you have seen him on shows before. Uh, not no, I've not seen him. I've never seen him before, though. No, I mean, he made a really good account of himself. He got himself over. There was a multi-arm match that was originally planned, um, and they pulled a couple of people out from the multi-arm match, and it meant that different wrestlers that you wouldn't normally see getting opportunities. Saxon Huxley, speaking of uh, WWE UK, the, the muscle cat, got his long-awaited <laughs> progress debut, but maybe the less said about that one, the better. But, you know, some other people really got a chance. I thought that uh, Spike Trivet and Amir Jordan both uh, made good accounts of themselves. Gabriel Kidd looked good. Uh, Primate um, made his return to progress after, I, I believe, the, the Sheffield show last year being the, the last time he was there. And it, it was almost a shame, to be honest, because that this was the big match where lots of people got their opportunity. But it seems, just from uh, following Twitter, that uh, maybe the, the, the biggest story was some of the uh, entrance antics of, of two of the wrestlers coming out. I'm not sure if you've, you've seen much of this the last 24 hours. Not a lot myself. I've not, I've been, a bit work is unbelievable at the moment so i've not had a chance to do a lot of twittering let's just say i've seen i mean i've seen uh trevitt's um act before the strong and stable style um it's a it's a good gimmick and um if anyone's had a chance to listen to there was a radio 4 documentary called make it real where they interviewed him mm. and he goes into depth about his character and it seemed very interesting however if you're having prosecco spat in your face you might feel very differently about it yeah. Which I understand that, that that's what happened, is that... Yeah, it was a whole thing. I mean, he comes out, and like you said, he does the, the Tory boy gimmick, and he, he's very good at it. But yeah, yeah, he's spitting Prosecco or something like along those lines. Our fans on his entrance, and it depends on the fan. You see some people kind of almost enjoying it or not being too bothered. Uh, but... Uh, I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning Ben Britt Rezoedes, who's a friend of the show, um, who I spoke to right after it happened. He, at close quarters, got dribbled and spat on by by Trevor, and I just don't think 
at a live wrestling show, it's not really a reasonable expectation. I don't think for for that to happen. I know Chris Brooks has done it in the past, and people didn't criticize Chris Brooks. Um, but in this case, with Trevor, he's coming to lots of criticism. Part of it's probably the fact that when it happened, Ben stood up and kind of faced him off and had to get pulled away by security. I think he got a little bit lost in the moment, uh, and I think Trevor actually shit himself when that happened as well. Um, I don't know. Is this the type? Of, should fans have a reasonable expectation that you go to a show? And, and this type of thing is going to happen from a from a heel like this. Well, there's been a lot of debate about this, certainly within about the last day. Hmm. Um, and I kind of think at times, and, I, and this has been something that a point that I complained about before. I think the idea of fans kind of having taking that kind of stuff is not quite on because ultimately you are paying customers, and the idea of doing that because you're just trying to provoke that reaction. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'll be, yeah, I just feel uncomfortable with it. Then again, I mean, yeah, it's, is it the same as stand up comics picking on someone if they're sitting in the front row? Mm-hmm. Um, how, you know, there'd be some people who maybe don't want that to happen at all, but then again, that's the risk of being in the front row. Um, I think having, having water spat at you, <laughs> I'll tell you, is water being spat at you worse than having Prosecco spat at you? I think water should be thrown, but also water's not sticky. Hey. Yes. Hey, Sebast- yes. Sebastian in the ballroom covered me in water one day. But again, he did- yeah. he's a gentleman. He threw it out of the bottle. He didn't spit on me, I will say that. I'm, all, I'm kind of all right with throwing out of the bottle on the crowd for a bit of heat. I'm mm. sort of fine with that. Spitting and spitting at close quarters? Nah, just a bit. Nah, I'm not into that. I don't know. Mm. It was just... That's the thing. It kind of overshadowed what was... An extremely fun match with, you know, people who weren't supposed to be on the card. And I think that that wasn't the only critique as well. I know people, some people weren't. I don't know if you've seen uh, Amir Jordan before. He was, he comes out and he does some very stereotypical, shall we say, uh, dancing. And there were some fans who were kind of joining in with it and everyone seemed to be having a good time, but then there were a couple of people on Twitter who, you know, fair enough, were pointing out that maybe that kind of stereotypical dancing is the type of thing left uh, in the Dark Ages. Um, it was all complicated by the fact that, would you believe it, a progress owner, uh, Shakara, responded badly to this critique. Glenn Joseph going online, going on about, well, nobody goes to wrestling to have fun anymore, obviously, and, you know, it's it's like Panto, it's nothing wrong with getting a bit wet. Um, I think there is a, a is a difference, and I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, people pointing out that they, they find gimmicks like that offensive, is there? No, <laughs> not really. I think it's just them. But what need is there for him to react to it, really? Mm. Like, there's not. Like, why why has he opened his mouth there and probably magnified the situation slightly? Them drawing attention to it at times in the way they draw attention to it, which is to respond like, oh, what are we doing wrong? We're, we're, we're perfect. <laughs> never does them any favours. Mm-hmm. When does it ever work out for them? One of the things I've noticed recently that they keep doing is they keep tweeting from the Progress account about this um, US coach company. Oh, God, yeah. Over back in August. And I get they were out of pocket. I get it was bloody annoying. But at the same time, like, stop tweeting about it publicly because it's got to the point now where it looks like it's all needless to say I had the last laugh type stuff and you know <laughs> unless John Briley's going to write bouncing back where he had the last laugh 13 times mm-hmm. like just please stop because you're making yourselves publicly look kind of small time mm-hmm. like I'm sure that 
many companies out there have had similar issues before, but they're not looking to sabotage constantly. Like they might do it in private, they might just sort an issue privately. Whereas Progress make all of their little issues far too public for my liking, and all their little rivalries are far too public as well. Yeah, it's kind. Of, I mean, it's not just the owners either, though. I mean, I've seen wrestlers come out in the days since uh, picking on some of the comments, and you know, so well, you can't be a heel anymore in, in 2017. But there's got to be a line, hasn't there? I think it's uh, it's 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 not that it's not. I mean, society is it's probably a better place that people can point these types of things out. Um, but it doesn't help. I think wrestling, everything seems to get magnified, and we have got this bubble online and. Yeah, we're probably guilty of it ourselves as well. Glenn Joseph comes out with a comment like this, and we're probably the first to jump on it. Um, and everything just gets magnified, doesn't it? And made to be perhaps a, a bit of a storm in a teacup, which is maybe the best way to put what the issues were here, um, even if you know there are some genuine concern there. I'm with you. Yeah, I've got to ask. Um, were you psyched to see the return of Rampage Brown? You know what? I mean, on a positive note, I'm not a huge Rampage fan, but when he came out, and he came out with his hate breed theme as well, yeah, um, they actually let him use it. Um, I, be- I saw Briley say on Twitter that they're going to be having to dub that out of the on-demand, which is a, a real shame, but my God. He's nothing without that theme. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of... I mean, it was predictable as well, because, I mean, he's a Yorkshire guy. I know we were in Sheffield, and he's a, he's Leeds, and there's an issue there, but uh, it was the perfect spot for him. But, yeah, Rampage is kind of... He came out, and he got a, a huge response, which, which took me aback a little bit. Um, he's one of those... I mean, that's what this match was. It's too... Serviceable. Doug's obviously a legend, but it was two big lads wrestling, two proper workers. Rampage is the type of guy, isn't he, that he gets hyped by other wrestlers as, as the best thing going, and, oh, he's the best, you've got to work Rampage, or he should be on more shows, but he never does do a huge amount for me, and while it was a an enjoyable match, I still don't see a role for him going forward in progress. I don't know about you guys. No, I'm with you. I've always found him quite dull if mm. I'm honest I don't think he's bad he's never done anything for me outside of the entrance and I, I yeah. can't say I've missed him one bit mm. I just can't connect to him I mean maybe within a tag team that might be end up being being a future for him I know ITB was set with him and Ashton Smith but yeah as singles I mean I have to say one of the weakest Matt Riddle matches I remember seeing was him yeah him versus yeah. Um, Riddle for the Atlas title in Birmingham wasn't mm. it mm. And, you know, since then we've only seen him very sporadically. He works a lot of Tidal, doesn't he? That seems to be his, obviously, his home leads, basic yeah. leads. Um, Don't forget the epic series of Primate in what culture? <laughs> yeah. Time. The less said about that one, the better. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't want to uh, dwell too much on the negatives of the show, though, because Progress really did pull it i mean considering the circumstances i thought he did a really good job i thought i mean okay yeah i wasn't made up with the fact that i got had to sit through joseph Connors, connors and chuck mambo main event in the first half no doubt uh, as well um that didn't really uh, make much sense to me but were people were people into it uh not really no it was relatively quiet in there um people did Mambo get as a replacement for Pete Dunne? He always does all right, to be honest. I always think, when he, I mean, yeah, when you're stepping into what? those shoes, that's a that's problematic. But him coming out and, you know, the whole, uh, you know, they've got the, the beach balls going on and he's got a fun entrance. People enjoy him, just not in that spot. I mean, I know it's I, only I, the last... Go ahead, JP. Sorry, I don't. 
Uh, it sounds all over here. He's a lovely bloke. Absolutely sure he is. Hmm. But I cannot connect with him on any level. <laughs> whether it's gimmick, whether it's matches. This for me, I mean, you, you put it on Twitter. This really didn't sound like my, I want to see it. Yeah. Out of, you know, in the way that you want to watch bad films. Are you not into time traveling surfers? I'm not. Because no. I'm a grown ad- adult who <laughs> likes somewhat complex characters. Oh, go you, Mister Culture Vulture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. I yeah, and that's what and that's what bothers me is is I don't understand what this is meant to be because if I had to actually hang around someone who behaves as a character like Chuck Mambo is, I'd be driven absolutely <laughs> mental. Well, I mean, the best way I can put it. Sorry, Chuck. <laughs> the best way I can put it is it was a match. That's what it was. It was Joseph yeah. Connors against Chuck Mambo. It was what you expect it to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting to the more positive ends of the card, the, the last, I would ex- tell people to, to look the cards up when it goes up on Progress is On Demand, because the last two matches were fantastic. Uh, one real, I mean, a team that really benefited from the reshuffle, Aussie Open, got pulled yeah. out of the meaningless eight way and thrown into a tag title match with the Grizzle Young Vets, Gibson and Drake, and they they showed progress fans and, and progress what the show and everybody everywhere else it it really felt like a a star making match it was just okay although drake's a body he can he can he can keep up gibson's obviously a fantastic heel and they were just the perfect base for uh aussie open to run through all their spots and it was just a, a really exciting match and i do think that uh, the aussie open are going to be i think this was important i think if they hadn't had this match i could see them just being used on spot shows as they were previously um used as kind of you know in matches with with all their quote-unquote rookies although yeah mark davis is quite the opposite of a rookie but i think this did feel star making it felt like we're going to see a lot more of that team in, in progress going forward even though they were on the losing side it sounds a bit like that match in ring of honor in mm. like 2007 when seen and generico weren't meant to be full-time roster members and they were just brought in for a shot and had this incredible match with the briscoes mm. and that became feud of the year in like 2007 um uh, hopefully it is like that because i think aussie open are one of the best teams going out there at the moment yeah and the more we see them the better to be honest it's interesting that amari's not been back since that six man yeah that, that's true um i think he, he might have fit in here maybe even in the eight way but i wouldn't lose hope i, I could see them using him again um I think he, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about Omari later. Um, there's definitely a spot for him on the card. Um, and yeah, just to, to wrap things up, I mean, the main events, Travis Banks and Eddie Zenis. It was hard to buy uh, an Eddie win going in, but they did get people going. Um, I didn't like uh, the match was essentially uh, Eddie, Eddie lost clean in the middle of the ring um, with the Lions clutch from Travis Banks. So I didn't like that part, but again, you can't really get mad at progress because although it is alien his heel run, and I probably wouldn't have had him lose a match like this in such high profile, I would have expected they had Mark Andrews' plan to be involved in the finish. Um, that was probably the the idea going in, and obviously with Mark Andrews not making it there, but they really did. They pulled me in with some really believable uh, near falls uh, with Eddie Dennis with his finish, and I, I did think that. Uh, Although going in, logically, it didn't make any sense for Eddie Dennis to win. In the moment, uh, I did buy uh, quite a few of the near falls. I mean, we didn't really talk about him too much when we were talking about that f- uh, the first show, but what you make of it, uh, Eddie Dennis as a heel in, in progress? Joe, have you changed your mind a little bit on the on the fact that, I mean, obviously, we know his, his, uh, his real-life story and it's a very baby-faced story. Are they convincing you with uh, with Eddie Dennis, with a heel, with his, his promo work and, and the like? 
Yeah, absolutely. I loved his turn. I've loved what they've done with him so far. Some of the video segments they've done with him and the promos, I think, have been really good. Mm. There was a really good promo last week where he's taken a class to Projo and he's taken out of the class and they do an interview with him and he gets quite irate with the interviewers and all the rest of it. I thought that was really good and really well pieced together. I think he's one of the more believable and one of the more real characters in British wrestling at the moment. Like we've just spoken about, I know he's not a prominent character, but a time-travelling surfer. <laughs> um, and then you've got Eddie Dennis, who's bringing these real-life issues in. I think JP mentioned him talking to Sexsmith about his mortgage and all the rest of it and what he's put on the line to do this. And I think he's quite relatable as well, coming from uh, someone who is a teacher there's something that feels quite real about the way he talks and the way he operates. And there's a real intent as well. And you can tell that he is really determined now to give this his all as well. And I think over the last year, you've really seen him improve in the ring, um, yeah. if anything. And a year ago, if you told me that Eddie Dennis would be main event in a progress show and having a good match with Travis Banks, I'd kind of be like, uh, not sure about that on paper, but good on the bloke because he's really put his all into this. And, Long may this continue. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that this is the fact that this match went clean and the fact that um, that Travis won. I think it's quite nice. This almost feels like this could be step one in Eddie Dennis's journey to the title, and he can obviously Mark Andrews will get involved. But the next time there's a rematch, the idea of maybe finding a counter to the to the cross face as well. I think he cheats to win the belt eventually. Yeah. I think that's what maybe it's building to, which isn't a bad thing necessarily if they play off the first match where he didn't cheat, maybe. And well, he's I, kind of he's the type of guy, isn't he, that could step into that spot. I mean, on the the Indie Corner website, Laura Brooke kind of did a review of this show and she summed up a lot of my feelings. But in here, summing up, she was kind of saying that this show was maybe a she put it as a sobering glimpse of what progress will look like without British strong style. Um, had you know if when it, if and when they do head to America, what have got pro, what have progress got to to fill those gaps? But I do think that, that Eddie Dennis could be somebody to to be at the top of the card. I think he's he's proven himself a lot in the in recent weeks. Yeah, he's improving over and over as well. And in Rev Pro, he's had a really great year with his uh, losing streak storyline. I think it's been one of the more engaging stories in Rev Pro this year. Yeah. And in wrestling, it's been one of my favourite storylines this year, I think. And he's been having good matches at Rev Pro as well and improving month on month. I've seen his confidence grow massively over the last year as well. Mm. And I think it's probably coming to do with his headspace because, you know, as someone who's a teacher, I know how stressful that job can be. And being a head teacher, Jesus, like that must must have been, you know, seriously hard for him. Mm. Then going out and wrestling on weekends, there's only so much headspace that you can and focus you can give to say the wrestling at that point. Whereas now, I think he's 100% focused. Everything that he's doing is to benefit his wrestling career in some way, and I really hope it pays off for him because I think the bloke deserves it. To be honest. For sure, for sure. So uh, you mentioned there, uh, Joe, uh, Rev Pro uh, and Eddie Dennis's run there, uh, as also as part of what we've been watching on this bumper edition of that on this show. Uh, both of you guys found yourselves at Rev Pro's Uprising show, and you were also both at the last Cockpit show, Cockpit 23. Uh, we won't go into to full detail uh, on the Cockpit, but any highlights uh, from that last show before we, we talk Uprising? Yeah, there was actually, do you know what, there was... It was one of the more eventful cockpit shows we'd seen um, in terms of things developing. It also had one of my favourite highlights. Joe brought his parents. <laughs> um, last minute, 
Uh, we were in London anyway. A uh, mate of mine dropped out. I had a spare ticket. Jokingly said to mum and dad, fancy coming. My mum was well up for it. My dad did not fancy it. Um, I ended up managing to find one of the final tickets for my dad online. Took him along. My dad ended up loving it. My mum ended up thinking it was interesting, let's just say. And it wasn't as into it as my dad was. But there was sure. there was one bit in the main event which was really good fun with the um, CCK and the um, Legion of Lords. Um, uh, that they that Damien Dunn had to tell Joe's mum to get I'd move out the way if I were you, love. Before someone came diving over the top rope. Yeah, right. I think Gideon Gray was about to do some sort of dive at the top rope, and my mum was right in the way. And <laughs> going on, and Damien Dunn broke character. <clears throat> that's the kind uh, of fan service you want. Never mind this spitting Prosecco. That's a, that's a gentleman right there. Oh, he was a proper gent. Was, uh, Mr. He, Dunn, may, I he may not have wanted her to have fun, but he did want her to be <laughs> safe, and you've got to admire that. He's <laughs> right there. Exactly. Um, it was kind of... It was, it was noticeable... Um, primarily because of the um, the cruiserweight match between um, Flash Morgan Webster and Ryan Small, which Flash um, won, um, and it was primarily about Ryan Small. And this is, you know, this is obviously going into deeply into personal personal territory. He's Ryan Small has been, as he said, he says himself, he's he's having a, a really tough time at things at the minute. He didn't look at the races during this match, to be brutally honest yeah, with you. And I think it was a hell of a job by Flash yeah. to kind of get a match out of it. And by the end, it built in something nice. Um, and at the end, uh, you know, it, it ended up leading into a five-way that was an uprising, which was a bit odd because it kind of felt like this was a chance for sort of Smile to kind of have a bit of a bit of a break. But then obviously he was there on he was there on Friday as well as they built to a, a five man. The end of this match was awesome. Uh, yeah, a smile uh, Webster match. One of the biggest Hurricane Ranas I've ever ever. Seen. Um, they were both stood on um, they were on top of the like ring post if anything. Yeah, and Flash looked like he was absolutely shitting themselves, but they landed it perfectly, and that led into the finish. But it was the post match promo that I think was more notable than anything, where Flash got on the mic and spoke about Smile's health issues and kind of thanked him and made us aware of what was going on in his personal life. And then we had Ryan Smile on the mic saying that he wasn't meant to do this, but he wanted to thank Andy Quilden. <clears throat> for helping him out with all of his issues and whatever was going on in his personal life at the time. So it was all quite emotional. It was a bit of a roller coaster, to be honest, because watching it, you could see Smile really wasn't with it. Uh, and then when this happened at the end, I don't know, it really kind of got to me because you could really see him sort of breaking down right in front of your face. Mm. It, was all, it all felt very genuine, to say the least. Mm. Yeah, it's a difficult one to kind of tiptoe around, isn't it? I mean, we... On a probably on a future podcast, as we've got a lot to get through today, we we do want to talk about the the lucha forever issues. But yeah, it's just it's obviously that 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 smile does have his issues. Um, the fact that he's making these bookings is a positive. Um, there are still those outstanding issues, aren't there, with lucha forever, with him owing fans money and not responding to fans and not uh, being the most responsive on Twitter and with refunds and stuff. So part of me kind of sees him in the ring, thinking, well. You're wrestling matches, but you've got other responsibilities as well. But I don't know. It's hard to be overly critical, isn't it? Tiptoeing around the, the the obvious issues that are there. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, it's, you know, somewhat of a, of a, of a real minefield. I mean, I don't know, in my, in my opinion, I, I think the best thing for them to do would be to take some kind of a break, mm. um, uh, in order to spend some, some time really fixing himself. I wonder if he's just going to do Rev Pro and they yeah. said, we'll give you a role, you go and get better, but you've still got a payday here when you want a payday in the meantime, potentially. I don't know. I'm just speculating on that point. Yeah. I mean, and, and then on on top of that, you also had, I was going to say, in terms of like eventful stuff, so Andy Quilder not wearing a suit. No, he... <laughs> Dressed down there at the office. That's for, uh, I saw Raleigh Court say that on Twitter. Well, yeah. What I found really interesting was when I went to the progress show the week before, you've got Glenn Joseph going for a midlife crisis, trying so hard to look cool and fashionable with his shit hair, his receding hairline, and his ankles showing off and all the rest of it. Sergeant Pepper jacket. Yeah, doing a poor man's Trent Seven impression. Pound <laughs> shot Trent Seven. Then you got Quilden walking around not giving a fuck in his like weird jeans and his tight t-shirt. His so, dad jeans, yeah. Kind of, kind of to me address the well, kind of spoke volumes just of a difference of the two companies. There's an indictment of a difference between the two companies by just looking at what the owners wear <laughs> when they're uh, dressing casually. To be honest, um, <laughs> there was a great segment with Quilden in ring though, which I thought he performed really well in. Yeah. Um, so the Eddie Dennis losing streak. There was a great angle here where everyone was demanding Eddie. There was signs given out uh, that someone had actually printed off at home saying "We want Eddie." My mum and dad were all like, oh, who's Eddie? Who's Eddie? <laughs> and then Eddie turned up after the Rob Lias match and demanded and spoke about not being booked um, and demanded to be at York Hall. And it was a really good back and forth promo between him and Quilden. And I've got to say, my dad came out of the show saying that Eddie Dennis was his favourite wrestler. And then on Friday before York Hall, I was chatting to him and I said what I was doing. He said, ah, oh, uh, cheer on Eddie for me. So Eddie Dennis's human uh, character and approach has really kind of rubbed off on a casual fan who doesn't watch any wrestling. <laughs> like that. So it kind of shows that it's working, to be honest. That's good to know. I mean, it, it was weird for me watching, and we're going to get to Uprising in a minute, but yeah. seeing, having been a progress and seeing this new heel Eddie Dennis with his moody instrumental hip hop track. I'm not quite sure what, what that thing is. Uh, I do kind of quietly love it. Um, but yeah, it's weird that, that, that juxtaposition that he's still obviously the lovable baby face in Rev Pro. Do you, do you see it staying that way or do you, do you think no. he's heading towards a heel run? That's where that's where it's leading to, mm. um, and he set it up on an uprising. And I suppose we're going to end up cutting across the two cards to, to a certain extent, where it was him, um, him and Pete Dunn. Um, they had they had their match, um, sort of starting off the the second half of the show. Um, I mean, it was it was it was good. I mean, you got the feeling you, it was hard to think of um, that Eddie Dennis would be beating Pete, Pete Dunn. Um, and he set up another loss, and then he had Rob Lias come in, so they're having their kind of carrying mm. on their feud. But the kind of angry, desperate Eddie Dennis character of what this is leading to, and it kind of mirrors what he's doing in progress as well. It's just a, I suppose, it's just a different way of getting to the same point. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, it came out of nowhere in progress, whereas here they're really sort of building it, sort of. It's yeah. a real slow burn type storyline, isn't it? It is. That this is what he has to do in order to succeed as being a full-time wrestler. He needs to be nasty and he needs to do bad things. That's the way he's going to end up getting ahead. And so I think it's going to be, I mean, I could possibly even see a scenario where Lias is with Eddie Dennis, 
Yeah, I, I, maybe. I, I, maybe I could it is see, going that way. I yeah, could see I how it think of that. How it go how it can go that way as well. But I mean again, we've spoken at great length about the, the Eddie Dennis uh, saga. It's it's still in it's still him himself making this work. Two different ways, two different promotions, and he's and he's over with the crowd. Mm-hmm. And his and his work is getting better, although this match for me was it was it wasn't as good as it could have been. But there was a lot of things about the cars in mm. general, I think, for our options that weren't as good as as what it as what it could have been. Yeah, well, um, I, I suppose mean, we're about uprising now, aren't we? We might as well get into it. Yeah, I mean, uprising uh, was a show you both got to. Uh, I didn't manage to get there, but you, but we've talked a little bit about Eddie Dennis there. But the the big story coming out of uprising um, mainly, and I'm looking to to you here, Joe, because you're quite the the rant on uh, Twitter about it. This. Young Bucks main events, uh, the Bullet Club were the stars of the show. It was the the Young Bucks and, and Marty Skrull against uh, Flip Gordon and CCK. Um, I'm sure you from your Twitter, Joe. You, you love this match. Uh, if you love fun, you you must have loved this thing. Oh man, this match was the most I've ever disliked a match. I think I've seen live, possibly. I'm trying to think of matches that, like, I can see if people would be entertained by it. Mm. I can see if people would enjoy it. I really can, but. This was a wrestling match based around uh, spots that are worked into a match that are there to promote a YouTube show that isn't doesn't involve wrestling content. Hmm. Now, it just felt like three egos who are on top of the world right now and who people are deeply in love with yeah. taking a bit of a night off while dis- while promoting the show that has enabled them to start taking more nights off while they're <laughs> on shows. And this was the sign of a night off with their mind on making content for a YouTube show. Now, what I hated, absolutely hated about this match, was you see the Elite versus CCK. Sounds great. That sounds like a dream match on paper. No. CCK were a couple of bodies that were put there. They were cannon fodder. Like, no one's going to remember that Travis Banks and Chris Brooks were in this match. I thought it was completely disrespectful to those two guys. But what their arses off this year, they really have. And there they are, basically being treated as if they're a couple of job guys. If this was Lord Gideon Gray and his crew, absolutely fine. But two guys who have had the Red Pro tag team titles this year, who have made real reputations this year. The Progress the champion, yeah. the Pro champion. Exactly. And they could have been elevated a little bit more by this match, made into bigger stars. Could have done more as headliners on shows, potentially, when you've got more casual fans and you might have got instant. No, they did nothing. They got absolutely nothing in this match. Like, yeah, they got in the ring with the Young Bucks, but I, I just felt sorry for them. Yeah. I don't know how they felt. They might have been elated at the fact they were in the ring with the Bucks. But at the same time, like, this match felt counterproductive. It didn't feel like it actually achieved mm. anything. And you can say, oh, it was advertised around the Elite. And it was an elite match, and that's what you got, and that's what you knew you were going to get. But at the same time, I think that's a really poor attitude. Like, there were plenty of shows that people would have gone to where, I don't know, Stone Cold was advertising the show. And he might have gone in there and had a competitive match with someone. Like, this wasn't competitive. It wasn't interesting. CCK are no better off for this. In fact, I think they might be kind of damaged in the eyes Mm. of various casual fans. 
because they weren't seen as competitors or on the level of the Young Bucks or even Marty, which I find really kind of insulting, considering that the scene that these guys are currently kind of making their waves in is the scene that made Marty and essentially put him in the position he is in now. Hmm. I felt that he was giving nothing back to the scene and the company that kind of in a way made him by participating in this. I don't know if that was the way the match was booked, but the Young Bucks... Uh, paw prints were all over the way this match was booked. I think and I'm not sure how much the promoter did have a hand in actually booking the layout of this match. Mm. I saw, yeah, I've seen, I've seen people saying that in defence that, oh, well, you know, it, 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 it's this match was probably put together by the promotion. I mean, like you say, this felt like. I mean, my, my big question was going to be, is this normal for a Young Bucks match? Do we just not see it when the wrestling people were not so invested in when they're doing a random six man in Ring of Honor, for example, and you know, it's not the CCK uh, tag team. Do we notice when they do this? It definitely did feel especially egregious here. I mean, I don't know what you thought in the building, JP, but just watching on the VOD, for me, it did feel like the Young Bucks got, and Marty Skrull got, they got the shine, then they got the heel heat, and then they got the finishing sequence, which was just all three of them uh, pinning these scrubs. Um, they didn't really leave much, did they, for the CCK team to shine? No, exactly. And, and more emphasis was put on Flip Gordon, who's obviously been quite a prominent part of being the elite over the last few shows. It's like, right, okay. And the two guys who are here all the time, who work all the cockpit shows, we just not bother with them. Um, and I, I get that, what was it? They did five matches in nine days. Mm. So I get that there was going to be a routine to the match. Yeah. But there is another team at the other side of the ring. And we saw the match with Ken, we, we, we've seen them work. Two six-mans with the um, Leo Rush, Shane Strickland and Ryan Smile in, in Rev Pro, uh, but they're Kenny Omega rather than Mike Scott. And that, was, and that was great. And I have to say, part of it was the fact that Omega was there. And it and, felt like an epic... And the Bruce Strong-style match in Fight Club yeah. Pro as well. But obviously, politics would have played more of a part in that due to the WWE status of the guys as well, I'm sure. Yeah. And the fact they were booked against the three... Well, one of the owners of Fight it, Club Pro, for starters. It's it's just that it's a very... Uh, I, it's being incredibly presumptuous because they're as hot as they ever kind of have been. But at the same time, the reason why they've reached that status is through having these incredible matches... That's what's kind of led them to the place that it is. And it's not the kind of point in time where if they if they were going to kind of just do a, a, a comedy main event, a comedy six man, I would have been OK with it. But they had just completely neglected the fact that there was another team. There. Yeah, I'm not asking for a, even an incredible match or like a real work rate match. I'm asking for the guys they're facing who are going to be around hopefully for a while and whose reputations could have been furthered with this match mm. to have actually been made to look all right and be made to look competitive with the guys that they were in with at various points. This felt to me almost like kind of regressive WCW booking um, yeah. where it was kind of like, well, we're the stars. Those guys have a little get well, Chris Brooks isn't small, is he? But those guys aren't on our level. So we're not going to give them anything because we've decided they're not on our level kind of thing. And it's that sort of stuff that starts, you know, this isn't what the British wrestling boom has been kind of built on. If anything, no. it's made new stars and imports have come in and helped to make new stars. And that's been one of the things that Red Pro have done really well over the years is booking imports that make their guys look good in the process. Especially and, Vader. 
Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's an interesting one to go down. But Matt Seidel and what Matt Seidel did for Will Ospreay. Mm-hmm. Ricochet when he was in there and Marty Scott. I saw Ricochet. I think it's David Starr. Yeah. But yeah, a different level of no pun intended. Oh, yes. Star. Yeah. But at the same time, the imports have always been worked into Red Pro, especially at the York Hall show, very effectively. Um, and usually there's been some kind of star making performance. The post match was really notable to me because in the Bucks matches um, during the tour in April, they stand in the ring afterwards and cut a promo while the guys they face were in the ring. Here, Brooks and uh, Travis just skulked to the back. Mm. Don't know what happened to Flip Gordon. <laughs> they just felt like a complete afterthought. It was like, yeah, we've done their match. They don't matter now. Leave us alone while we do and we just our left. comedy skit. And I've got to say, this was just like. This was proper lazy, carny bullshit. Yeah, you can charge £20 for a picture and you can have a load of money and you've got a family to support. Fair enough, I get that. You're a, you're a travelling business. But there's a, there's carny and then there's a, a different level of carny. Mm. And they've gone to a different level of carny. I'm going to put it out there as well. I think they've worked Dave Meltzer. I honestly think they've... I love Meltzer, but I think they've worked Meltzer. And I sent a report in uh, on the show, and I've done it a few times, and had the report published on the Figure 4 main site by Meltzer himself. Yeah. Um, and he didn't publish the report this time, which I found really interesting, because I just slagged up this mess. <laughs> And gave a lot of reasons. And I had my suspicions before as to whether the whole kind of like, you know, Meltzer driver, the whole stuff at PWG, the whole tights was like, you know, a nice little friendly rip. But at the same time, I almost feel like they've worked him to a point where he's not going to criticise this stuff or he's not going to speak openly about this stuff. And, oh, God, I'm really going off on one here. And I think fair play <laughs> with what they've done as independent guys. I really kind of respect it. I really do. And I'm kind of elated for the guys. They've managed to do this outside of WWE, and they've got commercial deals and the rest of it. But at the same time, don't forget those that are in the position that you might have been in just a few years ago. Because mm-hmm. that is what I have an issue with, really. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, lots of computer, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of me though I mean I went into watching this match with already knowing your report and, and knowing your thoughts on it and I was going in I mean I'll be honest I'm a fan of the being the elite stuff I'm generally a fan of the young books um, I can be hot and cold on, on Marty but do you think I mean some of this some of the critique we've got here is any of it on Brooks and Banks themselves I know Travis isn't a big character as it is Brooks I'm not sure what he is in in progress and RevPro in this strange babyface role, I don't think he's much stronger as a heel. Yeah. Is this the type of situation where, I mean, the match was, like I said then, you gave me a warning about how one-sided it was, and then I watched it, and it was twice as one-sided as I was even expecting. Is there, is there a responsibility on Brooks and, and Banks to maybe stand up and be countered here? Because Banks got a bit of a comeback, but other than that, they, they really didn't do too much notable here. Is some of that on them? I'd, I'd, I would have to actually say not. Um, partly because they also have to think about, and it, this is when there's the whole world of wrestling politics come into it as well, and the fact that they might be wanting bookings within Ring of Honor and New Japan. Mm. And it's, you know, the idea of kind of deviating from what these guys as, as big Ring of Honor and New Japan stars mm. um, are doing is not necessarily something I think that that could benefit his career. Um, I, it's just when looking back on the match, there just didn't seem to be points in time where 
they would have been able to kind of have mm. much of an advantage because it kind of went from a comedy segment to a comedy. So the boots, for example, yeah, and Flip Gordon and was splits. pivotal to these. They were, they yeah. were almost designed around Flip Gordon at points. I thought as well. So he was in there for long periods of time. So unless they tagged themselves in and just started, you know, doing their own thing, I, it didn't seem like there was never a position where they. They could have done much about this. It's almost a shame that Lycos was out and Flip Gordon had to be put in the match. Because it could have been a very different match if it was a pure CCK versus the elite match, I suppose. Um, You've got Lycos flying around and it would have given that maybe that extra element. You might have got the books with the working shoes on a little bit more in that case. Yeah, Yeah, and like I said, I'm not blaming them for not having the working shoes on. I sort of, I'm fine with it to an extent. Um, I would like them to, you know, work a bit harder, but I understand wear and tear on their bodies. I understand that they want to get more years out of their career. I get this stuff. Mm-hmm. It just would have been nice if, yeah, the opposition would have gotten something and might have come and come out of it mm-hmm. looking like they've been elevated ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas they've come out of it looking like they're just nowhere near the level of these guys. I almost feel like they they've created more of like a glass ceiling on the indies, if anything, now. It's almost like there's this, the elite, um, and then there's everyone else. Mm. Like, Ring of Honor, what is Ring of Honor? It's the elite at the end of the day, isn't it? There's mm. no one else in Ring of Honor that does anything for me or really interests me at this point outside of when these guys are in and the New Japan guys are in. And I, I throw Will Ospreay with the New Japan guys because it is their promotion at this point. They're the only thing that Ring of Honor have got that really draws people in, I think. Mm. Mm. I mean, that kind of ties into what the, the next point I was going to make. I mean, there is a crowd for this stuff, and it does draw a crowd, and it sounded loud in the building. I mean, the other match that kind of goes along this point as well, Jay Lethal and, and Cody having the Ring of Honor World title match, the crowd there was louder than I would ever expect it, because on that Ring of Honor point, Joe, I mean, I personally, I would find Jay Lethal and Cody Rhodes to be the personification of this Monday Ring of Honor that I'm really not a, a huge fan of. To oh, I, I had a piss break, don't you worry. <laughs> but it was kind of, it was surprising to me, like, that there were people, uh, did it feel like there was less Rev Pro regulars, or are the Rev Pro regulars just into this stuff? Because Lethal and Cody felt as... I know Cody said it on Twitter, but watching it, I did actually believe it. It felt as loud as I've I've seen your call on tape uh, in some regards, especially during the closing f- uh, stretches. Well, the makeup of a Rev Pro crowd at your call is kind of interesting. So you've kind of got this, the, the kind of hardcore, the people that you'd always expect to see at um, cockpit shows. Hmm. And you might see them, at, you know, you might see them when they're in Southampton, Portsmouth, and we would have seen people in Leamington as well. And then there's this sort of other half, which are much more of a casual audience, but obviously they are aware of Bullet Club and everything else. And so the show felt like it was much more geared towards towards yeah. them. I think there's an audience that go to the York Hall shows who kind of watch the Big Honor Import. and the Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they, and they, like, they like their big imports on the show. So they, they were hopefully... I I wasn't. I mean, apart from the last... The last five minutes were good. Yeah. The last five minutes, I thought, were structured really well, and there were some good twists and turns. Yeah. Other than that, I was very bored. Mm-hmm. Tease the Marty heel turn, mm-hmm. and kind of you think, well, this isn't going to happen on a Red Pro show. I mean, I, I bought some of it, because I think they laid it on thick, didn't they? They had Andy Q taking over the ring announcing and laying that, it on thick about the that, significance yeah, of it but, all. I thought the presentation of it was excellent. I thought mm. Wilden was really good with yeah. that at the beginning. And he made it seem like a much bigger match, really. And I think yeah. him doing that actually got people more invested in the yeah. match. It, um, it, 
he laid out kind of the complicated scenario, didn't he? If Cody lost, somehow there'd be a four-way that involved Marty, a final battle. And he put so much into it that I was watching it, even though I knew the result, thinking, this would convince me of this, because it meant that the the near falls for lethal i mean you you never would imagine the ring of honor title changing hands on a random rev pro show in the lead into final battle but for the big lethal elbow at the top there was pe- people seemed to buy it and even you know with your critique of the marty interference there jp personally i, I mean I, I would have bought it hook line and sinker it did feel like because of andy quilden putting in that legwork and saying well marty would benefit if uh if the match went uh, a certain way if lethal won and became the new world champion i think they did a a job of making a match that felt like a foregone conclusion into something a bit more interesting he did, he did a cracking promo for that. I think it was just probably, and this is, it was the fact that I, you know, for what, 20 minutes, I'd been kind of thinking, God, I could do with a break. <laughs> and, and at that point in time, by the last five, I, I'd gotten into it. I wanted to see a clean, I, wanted, I was expecting some sort of shenanigans, but it wasn't something I was ready to kind of buy that bigger story mm-hmm. happening on a, on a Red Pro show. Yeah, yeah. Like, if he'd somehow, let's say, interfered and cost Cody the match against, and, you know, by accident, I could have gone into it, but it set up something that was a bit more like, Marty was obviously going to turn it, and that was the thing that I was like, ah, uh, no. I've got to say, when Marty came out, I did actually think, and when they designed this whole thing where he was in the ring, I actually did think, shit, the title's actually going to change hands here. Mm-hmm. And because I thought to myself, Jay Lethal, uh, sorry, um, Dalton Castle versus Cody Rhodes, main event of the biggest show of the year. That sounds shit. Four-way, that sounds a bit more interesting. And there's the Marty Cody element that plays into it as well. So I did. I honestly actually thought that the title was going to change hands here, if I'm honest with you. A note on the crowd, lots of um, macho man-related chants towards Jay Lethal. Yeah, that gives you an indication of what the crowd is, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Jay Lethal's not been anywhere near as interesting since he was with Loki in, what, 2005? And his mum was in the front row. That was, that was Jay Lethal. The, the post-Hydro days. Absolutely. Uh, Jay Le- Jay, Samoa Joe's uh, undergraduate, yeah. I love that stuff as well. Um, I mean, we'd be amiss without giving time to the match that made me saddest for not getting out there. Zack Sabre Jr. and Matt Riddle. Um, we've had a year of amazing matches i mean we're spoiler we're going to be looking at doing a best of brit res show coming up very soon uh there's lots of zack saber on my list there's lots of matt riddle on my list i'm not sure if this match is going to make it there um maybe that's just me watching from the vod point of view how was this one live in the building it was decent it was a nice match um there were points of it where it took a little while to get into i thought um but at the same time, there was I really liked some of the strike exchanges in it. The way it was worked made complete sense. What were the type of wrestlers that they are, mm. and what were them being in a ring together? I thought um, it was one of those matches that sometimes at York Hall can can miss a little bit. I find sometimes I think Zach is uh, maybe a little bit indulgent in some of his York Hall matches, especially when there's not necessarily a storyline that's in play as well. Um, I did think it suffered a little bit from that, but it got better as it went along, I thought. JP? Um, yeah, I... Well, you got a few winks during the match and a few little uh, nods from Riddle while he was doing a couple of... Doing a suplex and he was looking right into JP's eyes. <laughs> held the look for almost too long to the point it was uncomfortable. And like a couple of star-crossed lovers like looking into each other's eyes across... A... It's, it's what it is at this point, isn't it? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It is, yeah. I'm, you know, 
I, it was really, really good. Mm. But at the same time, I, I didn't think, um, it was as good as it, it was good as it could have been at that, at that stage. And I couldn't quite work out what it was. There was lots of stuff that I really liked. Um, it just, for some reason on that particular night, it didn't work, which is kind of almost how I felt about a lot of the card in general, that there was things that I was, I was underwhelmed by, obviously apart from the main event, which I kind of find myself completely loathing. So yeah, for me, I, you know, it, 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 it felt like something that should have almost been bigger than what it was. And a lot of the people there, as we've already discussed, weren't really here to see a match like this. They were there to watch Bullet Club. That that was the thing. So I think for, for some of them, they weren't as interested. And then there was, you know, an interesting bit afterwards where um, Trent Seven came in and, and challenged uh, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Um, so, and gave him a pole driver and, God knows how this is going to end up because we've now got WWE versus New Japan. Well, we had um, Mustache Mountain versus In Britain. Um, uh, Suzuki Gun announced the next show, didn't we? So that'll be Minoru Suzuki in there with Trent Seven and Tyler Bay as well, which is going to be interesting. Yeah, they seem to be going somewhere with that combo, don't they? There's definitely uh, something to brew in there. I mean, what you, I mean, we can touch on the the Gibson and Bottom versus Mustache Mountain match in this, but what do you make of them? essentially moving um trent up to be it's it's not a role he's fitting in many other promotions at the moment but they seem to be moving him up the card as maybe a, a top singles act do you think that's the way it's going here do you think they've maybe got a, a longer lease on some of these wwe uk guys now it seems like it doesn't it something's certainly happened recently um yeah. this to happen and maybe he's done looking for bookings as well which i know some people say that's quite normal that he's looking for book- books well, he's looking for up until february so maybe he's yeah. off after february you know it make it make that makes complete sense to me i think i don't think there's anything to worry about there what i do wonder with trent is it was trent who made the challenge here to the champion to the british heavyweight champion is Tyler Bate off to Florida with Pete Dunne and is Trent Seven staying behind, maybe? And is there knowledge of that? And is Trent then going to get the next shot after the tag title match? Are they going to drop the titles to to Sabre and Suzuki? And then we go with Trent versus Zach, maybe? Who who knows? I'm fine with Trent getting pushed to that position. I'm a I know a lot of people don't um, aren't massive fans of his ring work so much. I am a big fan of him in the ring, and I think he's done some really great stuff as a single in Rev Pro. Mm. I actually think some of his best matches have been his singles matches in Rev Pro. Um, his I was match in the Nagata match. The Nagata match was great. His match with Sabre at the cockpit. Really good match with Marty at the cockpit. Really good match with Zach Gibson at the cockpit. So he's got a decent track record as a singles wrestler in Red Pro as well. So I can see why, and he's a popular guy, and he's always going to get over. When have you known Trent Seven to never get over? Mm, That's yeah. one of the things I'll say for him. Um, so I, I think this is a decent move, to be honest. I'm quite happy with it. He always makes me laugh. He always makes me smile. Mm. Um, the more he does that, the happier he's going to keep me. Mm. But I have to see the Young Bucks again anytime soon. I'll be happy, I'll say that. Yeah. yeah. 
it probably wasn't a, an accident that they gave him the the win with the burning hammer in the, in the tag match with Gibson and Bodham. Uh, I know part of that might be the fact that Tyler was hurt. I know he got a bit of a, a rib injury, didn't he, when he got uh, landed on the guardrail. Um, so maybe that's the other reason they went that way. But yeah, they seem to be putting him over strongly. Um, I mean, any, any other notes on, on that or, or elsewhere on the cards? I suppose we'd be amiss if we didn't mention the, the big uh, Cruiserweight multi-round match. I know yeah. uh, JP, one of, one of your boys, uh, Curtis oh. Chapman, uh, with his amazing uh, Sega Mega Driver and awesome uh, geeky theme music that you you may have heard earlier on in in this recording uh, as our intro, uh, yeah. he he kind of got his uh, his breakthrough moment here, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, and this was a match that was all set up at, at, at the cockpit here. It was the best actually I'd seen. It's the best El Fantasmo match I'd seen since he'd come he over. He was quite impressive in this, I thought. Yeah, yeah and he's, he seems to be kind of really having a good time with it. I know he's over here for two years. Mm-hmm. Is it two years yeah, he's over for? Yeah, he's got a two-year visa. Two-year yeah. visa. And I think it wouldn't be surprising that within the next six months, we start to see him in lots of places. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was really good and it, and it's kind of set up um david star as the heel as, yeah as a heel um and i'm liking that because i haven't seen that with david david star's always been the kind of really good fun loving guy in most of the times i've seen him live um but seeing him like this is kind of nice whether he can be that kind of bullying cruiserweight perhaps um it'd be, I'd be great to see him and curtis chapman head headline a, a cockpit show um, I think him cutting his promo at the start of the match himself and the way he did mm. like, yes. is a way of putting a spin on his promo to get him heat from the promo yeah. as well, which I thought was a really nice touch, like change of body language, change of a tone of voice as well. Really, really good little touch there. Absolutely. Um, any notes on the first women's match that we had in, in York Hall? Not a, maybe not a coincidence. This has come in uh, as Eva looking to move into York Hall. What did you make of Ginny and, and Session Moth being the, uh, the choices for, for such a pivotal match? Oh, it was, it, look, I, I enjoy seeing Martin. There was a dive Ginny did where I swear to God that I thought she'd nearly killed herself and landed on her head. Mm. Um, and it was it was terrible. And then she jumped straight back up, so everyone kind of cheered cheered to that. It it's I mean, the women's division area is built in tight it's, it's built entirely it's the Ginny on, division. It's the Ginny division. <laughs> which, you know It's fine. She, yeah, fine. My um, dad was a big fan of Ginny as well, actually. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um it's just that it's another match between her and Martina and I I've I've seen this before and it, it was built up as like, well, who's it going to be? And it was Martina. And it's like, again, okay. And that sounds horrible because Martina's act is... She had yeah. to work a little bit more here, it's, I thought, as well. Yeah. Just act. And that's... Given, this so. was and, more the Eve Martina, wasn't it, than the Fight Club Pro Martina? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I still think with, with Rev Pro, you expect something that's slightly different and maybe something that's slightly more kind of... Um, out of left field. Mm. So whether it could have been, I've heard it's just like a Rhea O'Reilly or, or, you know, Charlie Morgan. There's lot Nina Samuels, people who, who could have come in and instead it was Martina. It's like, oh, okay. And he doesn't really necessarily think in, and we've had this discussion before about what is Rev Pro, what is their identity? Whatever identity they have, I don't think, someone like Martina necessarily fits in, yeah, fits in so, with it. Well, I think Rev Pro, I don't think Martina, I thought this was going to be 
someone who's more of a traditional sort of worker bee type female wrestler. Yeah. Um, I, I was assuming someone like a Tony Storm maybe was going to come in here. Um, it was fine. It was what it was. I thought Ginny um, did herself a few favours. She showed that she was willing to really work her ass off to get the most out of this as well. And I've had questions about Ginny as a heel before, um, especially with some of her offence and um, I want, I've wanted her to be more chicken shit like, but I thought, I thought she was very good here, to be honest. I thought she really sort of helped Martina through the match at times as well. So, yeah. yeah. It, it, that one uh, bad DDT on the apron aside. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, well, uh, before we move on, any other notes on, on Uprising or, or Rev Pro in general? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, one last thing I was going to say. A pointless match that just didn't need to be on this card was Martin Stone and Dave Mastiff. Oh, yeah. It's a cockpit like, match if I ever heard of one. Like, yeah. I, I don't mind Martin Stone at all. Um, I think he's decent. I thought what we got here was a Martin Stone match with a guy who, at this point, Mastiff, I don't think he's he's in, a, in the best position doing this kind of like heel, bad guy act Bruiser. that he's doing here. Yeah. Like, I think he actually thrives at this point in mid-card comedy in these type of promotions like he was doing in progress mm. I, th- I honestly think there needs to be a change because he's not getting as many bookings as he was and I can't see why people are going to be interested in him if he's, if he's doing this stuff in the major promotions because mm. he's slowed down quite a bit he's not as sharp as he once was I'm not saying he's bad by any means at all but this wasn't a match that anyone wanted to see yeah and it was and it was having seen Martin Stone, Chris Ridgeway at the cockpit before, which was like a really good match, really tough match as well. And then it, it led to this, and he was like, ah, okay. Um, and yeah, it was something he was just like, okay, well, it, it didn't go on for too long necessarily. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering as well, I mean, with, with Martin Stone, I could see him being kind of progressing up the cards ever so slowly sort of throughout 2018 I could see him getting a, sh- a title shot on a cockpit shot yeah. at some point yeah mm, indeed okay well uh, moving on then uh, the another show that we actually all got to this time uh, Fight Club Pro uh, Infinity we all met up uh, in Wolverhampton it's becoming a regular thing, isn't it, really? We're getting there every month. Um our second home for all of us now, Wolverhampton, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I'd never thought I'd see that day. But, I mean, I would probably say of the shows I've been this year for Fight Club Pro, this was probably one of the weaker ones. It had the Certainly, I think it felt like it had, the strangely, the weakest atmosphere of any of the shows I've been. I don't know whether it was the British Strong Style guys being missing. Um, it was a slightly down card on what we've had in recent months, but it was still a, a big crowd, especially by historic uh, Fight Club Pro uh, standards. I don't know, uh, Joe, uh, maybe you, JP, first. Uh, what did you make of it as a show? Uh, it, it was good, but... It wasn't it, great was kind of my take. No, that was it. It was good, but it wasn't great. And it felt like it was the weakest of the Fight Club Pro shows that we've been to so far. Mm. Um, which seems harsh because there's, there's still lots to like on it. And mm. yeah. particularly the way they kind of, they, they build their, their stars up. And it's, and it, there was some 
it started off really well with the Jordan Devlin, Carl Fletcher, mm. um, a really intense Mark Davis, Kaylee Ray match. Um, which really stood it's out. It's one of the best intergender matches I've ever seen. Yeah. I thought it was a match of a night, uh, by quite a distance, to be honest. It was. It was, it was just that it, it kind of, I don't know. I mean, it, there were things that we'd spoken about afterwards about the way the show was structured and about some of the booking that was in place that, it felt a bit off for them, and I'm not quite, and I'm not used to them being off. Thinking, I don't know why you did that. So, for example, the introduction of M.K. McKinnon wasn't something that it, it you know, when he when he came in first of all and pinned Dan Maloney, that was like kind of a real bolt out of the blue. But then, by the time it had come into the elimination match, it had, it was almost like he didn't seem as special anymore. Hmm. Which is that's quite a challenging thing to do in one night. Um, it, see, it seems harsh saying it because yeah. I've been interested to see him see him come back, um, but I don't think I would have done it necessarily in this way. No, I would have. I thought they really missed an opportunity here. To be honest, mm. I think with him, he's around all the time at the shows. People have become a little bit more familiar with who he is. I think because of his presence at the shows. I thought there was a real story they could have told of him. Maybe you know. Maybe getting in the ring to break something up and then someone taking a swipe at him and goading him or maybe. And then maybe there'd been a bit more of a gradual return of him mm. to the ring and it being built up like a big moment. Whereas this just felt very sort of throwaway. It, uh, it seems like it's more Fight Club Pro to surprise mm. and have a moment of surprise rather than to build to a moment like that. They seem to like their mm. moments of surprise rather than their gradually built big moments, if anything. Yeah, I mean, Which I- is- Mm. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if anyone doesn't know kind of what we're getting at, it was a strange night in that the Infinity Tournament was kind of flipped on its head because the way that MK McKinnon got into it was that Travis Banks took himself out of the tournament. And that was a bit of strange booking for me as well. They, they had uh, Banks come out, didn't they, and cut a promo about how it was more, it was important to him that he wanted to fight Loki. Um, who, by the way, is a very lovely chap. I had a nice chat with him. We got a lovely photo and had a nice chat with him about a, a tag team match he had with Kenta Gaboshi with Ring of Honor in the 2000s. Great man. Um, I could understand why Travis Banks wants a match with him, but I kind of did the Infinity Tournament a bit of disservice, didn't it, for Banks to withdraw himself from it being last year's winner. Yeah, and I thought it, the whole tournament felt a bit, I don't know, a bit flat, if mm. I'm honest with you. Like, I think it's structure, isn't it? Like, like you touched on before. Yeah. Um, like, even, I, go ahead. I think last year they do two four ways, and when they did, uh, and they've done it before, they do two four ways in the singles final, is that right? Yeah. Mm. And, I've, yeah, here they'd obviously change that around a little bit. And they're good with their multi, with their multi-person matches as well. That's one of the strengths of... That is true, yeah. Pro. I suppose there's only a couple of those on it. I thought one of the things that they didn't do was, I thought the brackets in the tournament were a bit... I don't know. I didn't mm. like them so much. Yeah. I, Amari against Millie McKenzie at this point was a bad idea. It hurt him, didn't it? I think it, I think it hurt the response to him putting him against the only other person who may be as beloved as him in that room. Yeah. yeah. And I think Amari at this point shouldn't be, should, needs to be more of an underdog in his matches. He's not at a point where he should be like the main man in his matches, I don't think. And Millie McKenzie's in the exact same position. Mm. And by default here, Amari wasn't the underdog. Millie McKenzie most definitely was. And I didn't think he looked as comfortable in a different role. 
And I thought that there was an opportunity, say, with Dan Maloney to put him in there with oh. Mini McKenzie because you would have put super heat on Dan Maloney. You would have mm, got McKenzie over more as a face as well. Uh, yeah, I just thought it was a little bit of a missed opportunity. I thought Amari potentially beating Travis Banks in an upset was the best way to go here. Um, and it would have really put him over going into the final as well. But it's hey. what you do with Loki then, isn't it? And what you do with Homicide yeah. and Eddie Kingston. And it felt like there was a big British strong style hole on yeah. this card as well, to be mm. honest. And it seems like uh, the Rottweilers were booked to face British strong style. Yeah, and definitely. strong style. <laughs> Obviously, had to do the NXT shows. It was like, ah, shit, what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> and all to say about Dan Maloney as well, I don't know what's going on with, with, with him at the minute and why he's not in a more prominent position. Um, there was a there was a point I wanted to raise about where we were stood in the first half of the show. Mm. And it was it was like people and it was it was like an awful bit where there was two fans kind of getting in his face and it kind of really dragged on and the mic wasn't working. Mm. It was like this. It all got very very weird. Yeah. Um. It's. I don't like fans trying to do that anyway because it's mm. just like. Yeah. I'm. Uh, Sounds horrible. I'm hoping that the progress fan element doesn't start kind of seeping into Fight Club Pro a little bit. And I could sort of feel a bit of that here. And having to move spot at one point to get away from some super annoying fans. (laughs) I mean, you're going to get that anywhere, though, aren't you? That's just luck of the draw, um, depending on where you are. Um, It's I mean, there's on the fan base thing. I mean, I know you've uh, said yourself, Joe, it do, I mean, Fight Club Pro, we all love it, don't we? And this is, although we're being critical of the show, it's a bit of a rare miss because usually we come away raving about the Fight Club Pro shows, don't we? Um, but they've got kind of, uh, I mean, their fan base from the people I've spoken to who are big Fight Club Pro fans. They mm-hmm. love them Pay McKinnon being there. If you know the history with him, I, I get that. Um, they, they, they kind of, I mean, I know there were fans who were made up for Omari and we were as well. Um, but I don't know. I mean, is there is there are there similarities there to to the to, to progress? Is it is it is it a similar fan base? Uh, what do you make of it, Joe? I'm wondering if it is becoming a bit too um, bubble like, like progress to an extent. Mm. Uh, I think that Fight Club are possibly a bit more self aware. Yeah. And um, so I think that might, and I, I think they're a bit less arrogant than progress are as <laughs> well. So I think that may benefit them going forward. Um, there is definitely an element of that fan base and the style of fan that is kind of seeping in mm. to Fight Club Pro as it gets more popular. And I'm glad it's becoming more popular yeah. because the shows are packed quite often, although I thought the attendance was actually down at this show. Yeah, which was, just a bit, yeah. Yeah, which was interesting. Um, but at the same time... I feel like Fight Club Pro does things slightly differently. They don't do storylines in the same way that Progress do storylines. And the talent that people do invest in, I usually find that there is a reason for them to invest in those talents. Mm. Whereas sometimes some of the Progress talents that really become invested in, like, say, William Eva, just wasn't very good, as an example. Whereas I do think Amari has huge potential. I was very surprised, and I do think this is where the bracket in the first round affected the final, about just how little a response the Amari and Mark Davis segment in the final was actually receiving. The crowd seemed pretty dead to me, and it didn't feel like as big a deal for Amari to win this, almost because 
I like Mark Davis, I really do, but it felt like he needed to go over a more established star in the final here. Yeah. Someone who had a bit more history in Fight Club Pro and on the scene. If he went over Travis Banks, if he went over one of British Strong Style here, I think it would have been going absolutely mad. Mm. Um, and I do think it did lose a little bit by him going over someone who's, you know, only been in the, uh, only been in the UK, what, six months or so. Yeah. I mean, when it got far down to those final two, it did, it seemed like they were going for epic. And you're right, the crowd didn't feel as into it as, as expected. Although I would say once they got to the point where they were taking their knee pads and their elbow pads off and slapping and headbutting each other and Omari hit that big dive, I think people did get into it at that point, but it was late. Um, and there was a long stretch where it was a dull's probably not the right words, but it, it just wasn't maybe what I was expecting, and yeah, I think the, the crowd layout and the, and the booking maybe plays into that. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't engaging in the way that I thought it was going to be engaging, I've got to be honest mm. with you. Um, it was just a strange card, and then you had a really throwaway match on the card with Drew Parker and Clint Margera as well. Mm. It felt like it was a setup for Drew Parker to get a round of applause for that, um, what's it called, um, Death House yeah. match a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um, that and it didn't feel like much of a match really. It just felt like it was kind of killing time. Getting Clint on the card, yeah. getting Drew Parker a round of applause. Too too and, soon to do that style and do it in a relatively and I say relatively tame way. Um, considering we all remember yeah. that Death show so soon. Throwaway match, mm. like there was nothing to it really. There was no build, and it just—I, I'm never a fan of hardcore matches for the sake of having a hardcore match. Like to me, there's got to be a reason behind a hardcore match, and I suppose there really wasn't a reason mm. behind the Death House. Now I say that, mm. and it was uh, what it was, but I suppose that was more of a spectacle. Mm, all the it rest, was, yeah. Whereas this was just felt like a mid, uh, early 2000s WWE hardcore title match in many ways. Mm. Yeah, and it was, it was, and, and to carry on from it, I mean, it was interesting until we spoke about the crowd as well. A lot of them didn't know who Jonathan Gresham was. <laughs> That's a d- big difference, isn't it, between the Fight Club Pro crowds of old and, and of today? Yeah, exactly, which for those people, they can Google it. They can find out. <laughs> well, I mean, things. on the um, Grisham, but I was going to say, I, I, I know that um, there's always that confusion with him. I know that when, uh, you know, that, that Jap- uh bit of a tangent but do you remember that china tour that uh zach yes. gibson and uh and all, all that lot kind of go on about so that they, they all went out and they went out to china i know yeah. that um voodoo i know todd grish uh, <laughs> jonathan grisham uh there's a point to that was on that tour uh with those guys and i remember voodoo at the time who, who booked it apparently he'd, uh, he booked jonathan grisham uh, voodoo being a, a wigan based wrestler and booked him for that tour in china and when he turned up he was shocked that he wasn't actually todd grisham because that's who he thought he'd booked. It's <laughs> in the WWE yes. announced brothers, like MMA stuff. Yes. Yeah. He genuinely, because oh. Jonathan Gresham was in China and he'd heard about this Gresham guy in China, he just assumed it was Todd Gresham and booked him. Bit of trivia for you there, and it turned out to be Jonathan. He's Quite a, a difference. Bad, isn't he, as well? I didn't realise how short he's the first time I'd seen him live. I was like, <laughs> I was like, absolutely fine, but I didn't realise the disparity between him and Brooks. <laughs> he's wrestling Demetrius Johnson. He really is, isn't he? I mean, he's excellent. He looks a bit like him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what did you make of that as a match then, the big six, man? We touched on it before. Um, 
again, something for maybe for the older school Fight Club Pro fans getting to see the the proper version of CCK, see uh, Jonathan Grisham with uh, teaming up with Travis Banks and, and Chris Bucks. I mean, they had low-key Homicide and Eddie Kingston is very much the heels here. I mean, I don't know about you, Joe, but 2006 me kind of died a little inside when Homicide came out and no one seemed to, to really care. Uh, um, what did you think of the, the placement of uh, and the, the positioning of the of the, the strong style team? I don't know what they go by now. It's not Rottweilers anymore, is it? Is it not? I'm not sure no. then myself. I'm just going to refer to them as the Rottweilers. <laughs> I've known them as. Um, ah, it was a bit of a disappointment, to be honest, wasn't it? Um, <clears throat> Homicide, obviously, isn't the talent he once was. People weren't anywhere near as familiar with him as I thought they might have been. His Ring of Honor days seem to be way behind him and not it seems to be just me and you that talk about that run Benno and not many other people to be <laughs> it's honest it's so, the good old days mate for us yeah so it seemed like people might have been more familiar with him from his TNA work if yeah. anything I think the biggest response he got was when he went for the the cop killer and again a part of me died inside when somebody shouted gringo killer it was just oh. yeah Man, yeah. <laughs> Not the uh, cop killer danger ass. <laughs> Sounds dodgy, but that's what Jimmy Bauer called it. That's right. Uh, double stomp into the cop killer, which is one of my favourite moves ever. Pete J. Lethal right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was. I couldn't get into it. it the it, the place was dead, mm. and it was just a bit of a disappointment, to be honest. And I mean, like, they had a long brawling segment, didn't they, outside that kind of killed the crowd? Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of those types of matches a lot of the time, and it was really overdone here, I thought. They were I went up for more. ages, didn't they? Because we yeah. debated where we were stood, should we walk around and watch it? And it was like, at the point that I think it was me and Colin were going to walk around, it was, that was it. I think you'd gone off to see some of it, hadn't you, Benno? Yeah, it was a walking brawl, there wasn't much going on, and it was just... Oh, okay. After, like you say, half the venue couldn't see it, and those of us that could, there wasn't really an idea to it. It was just, it felt like 10 minutes, a long brawl. And so, I mean, I don't want to complain too much. I mean, we got to see yeah. one of those rare sights, Loki, uh, taking a clean loss to uh, to Travis Banks. You don't... What's that, mate? He's getting his win back. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't often see that with Loki, and yeah, it must be setting up something, mustn't it? I think the, the setting up of singles, although... We did see a lot of it here, and again, like you say, I think it was a more muted crowd than I expected, and it's good that they're building, because my biggest criticism of Fight Club Pro has been that they don't always build these kinds of stories, and it is a, a longer-form story, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I want to see it. I, I, I'll go and pay and see to Loki anytime, um, but there wasn't a lot in the match that made me really excited to see it. No, there wasn't me either, but I do want to see the match. I do think if they build it, and they actually advertise it as Travis Banks really wants this match, but it should get over, especially if Loki's coming back again as a single. I think it gives it more purpose that he's coming back as a single and he's got this yeah. big match and he wants to beat Travis Banks for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So, um, and he gives Travis something to do that isn't involving the title as well for a little while, which yeah, is yeah. which is kind of it's taking him slightly out of that, but not actually thinking in a positive way. Yeah, and I'm faithful that this match will... I'm sorry, faithful and confident that this match will, will work and will get over when it's uh, promoted properly. This might sound a bit harsh, but what was Eddie Kingston wearing? Because he looked kind of like the, a cross between a genie and an Elvis in person. He looks like he's going for like some old school Puerto Rican style bollocks, yeah. to be honest. It was weird. <laughs> it's tight. I didn't quite... Is that the new Abdullah the Butcher? Yeah. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Um... <laughs> 
But yeah, it sounds, I suppose we're critical on it because the shows before, again, have hit really high standards. When they don't hit those high standards, it does feel somewhat more deflating. (laughs) If the shows had been kind of fine up to that point, we probably all would have been okay with this. Again, it's, it's the expectations. And I suppose this is why we're harsh on any promotion is that you see them, what they can be at their peak. And so you're thinking, okay, that's like, now you've raised the bar to this level. When they don't hit that, it does feel disappointing. And, and so it's about just almost them trying to kind of not overthink how they, how they do this. I also think if they can do one other thing as well, the Dan Maloney shape purse and stuff really kind of just needs to end, just to emphasise that point. Oh, disagree, aren't you? You're not a fan of Shea Pearce coming out as Kane? I, uh, I pop for that. I, I honestly think I could watch that every show, although well, it is a bit of a waste of Maloney. Or the, or the Brock stuff. Tell you what, what I found really weird about that, this is a bit of a tangent, there's a guy who I always see at Fight Club Pro shows and I always think, where do I know that guy from? Where do I know that guy from? And then I realised that about my fourth Fight Club Pro show mm. that he was the guy who used to run the Oxford Brooks Student Union karaoke night when I was a student of Brooks. <laughs> one karaoke night, he did the 2000, like mid-2000s Kane theme that has lyrics at karaoke. And I was there like, is this guy doing Kane's theme? Like, why the fuck is he doing Kane's theme? And no, everyone <laughs> this karaoke was sitting around thinking, what the hell is this? You get any usual karaoke stuff. I think I did how, Girls Aloud that night or how, something. How do you yeah. sing Kane's theme? The wonder of the oh, right. oh, instrumental. He was doing the one that he came out to here. And I, was, <laughs> and, and I looked across, and this guy who did the karaoke many years ago to Kane's feet was there singing along to every word, screaming, going mad. Full never, circle. Never approached the guy, but it was a weird moment. Because I've always <laughs> stuck in my mind as to why the fuck would you do Kane's theme at a karaoke session? I understand doing a bit of Sexy Boy or something, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is cool. Kane's theme at karaoke. Get into this one, yeah. Sorry. Well, on that note... Uh... Social criticism from me right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that wraps up our Infinity Thoughts. As we've said, I mean. We're all still very much Fight Club Pro fans, and I expect we'll be back in January for whenever they... I don't think they've announced the next show yet, have they? No, I don't think they have, though. No. Mm. Not that I can say. I will check right now. Yeah. Where to look, but they, they did... In Travis Loki, I might skip the next one. I can do them a bit of time not driving to Wolverhampton. Yeah. Like, hey. <laughs> there is that. And obviously, they announced on the night as well, the Dream Tag Team Invitational coming up. Uh, tickets on sale on Christmas Day. That's uh, certainly an odd one. I won't be uh, queuing up for tickets. Oh, I don't think. Friday, 26th of January. Perfect. Show. And tickets go on sale this, this Friday. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Get them yeah. out of there. So, uh, moving on then, the, the last uh, show for our bumper, what we've been watching edition. Take us through your day there. I know you, you met some notable names um, while you were there and, and got some uh, some good interviews that we're going to re- be peppering through this show. Really, uh, I have to sort of thank a couple of people as well. I mean, obviously, Stu, who, who um, came the corners his site, um, he had um, managed to get us um, hooked up with the guy, uh, Adam Cleary, who is the um, operations manager for Defiant. And we were able to go in and interview Stu Bennett, who most people would know as Wade Barrett, uh, who's the general manager for Defiant, and uh, interview uh, some of the, the the wrestlers who are on the card as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stuff we we can't go into. We would uh, because the, they were taping for TV, 
which will probably give you a clue about the kind of show that it was. And so there's stuff around the spoilers that, that we can't give away. They taped episodes two, three, and nine. So that was a bit confusing. Um, yeah, and you heard that right. Two, yeah. three, and nine. And there was something that happened right at the end in episode nine that you'd be waiting a while for. Yeah. That we were not allowed to speak about. So, uh, yeah, that will come out in, I assume, about nine weeks. <laughs> it, it's, it's an interesting kind of setup because it's, it's, it's very much a TV promotion. So there were, you know, the matches themselves were generally on the, on the shorter side. Um, it was very kind of, angle heavy yeah there are a lot of angles there are a lot of moments during the night where the house lights went down and then we came back to the ring and something happened i think that happened three or four times over yeah. the course of a night like it happened a lot and we got a few different debuts didn't we from kind of newer guys that they hadn't yeah before um again can't spoil anything um so tune in to defiant wrestling where <laughs> should we yeah. In terms of the criticisms that we've had of them in in the past, yeah, I was going to say. I mean, how different was it from the the what culture presentation? Is it still very much the same company? I think it is. Yeah, I think yes, but, but there is some there is some upgrades that they've done. Yeah, uh, for example, there's much more emphasis in using British talent. Mm. For there this really is. Yeah, than than yeah. getting in lots and lots of big imports. Obviously, the the big import that they've had is is Austin Aries, and they're using imports that are often over here, like Speedball, Mike Bailey, and David Starr as well. Yep. Um, and one of the things I'll say for it as well is there's a good mix of talent. I thought they're using a real mix of experienced and inexperienced British guys. Mm. So you, we saw, say, um, the South Coast connection there, who are Ashley Dunn and Kelly Six, who's been Josh Wall in Red yeah. Pro, and those are two guys that haven't been wrestling too long. Um, are sort of trying to establish a name for themselves and they were on the card against the Hunter brothers then at the same time you've got Marty Skull on the card as well who yeah. you know isn't a worldwide star at this point so there's that real kind of mix and balance of talent which I thought was quite nice as well mm. and worked, worked worked pretty well over the course of the show I thought yeah and I mean also as well there was they'd also given some notifications about sort of fan behaviour mm. um, which is something that we've all had a variety of sort of criticisms uh, about is is about necessarily how people behave but um on the whole there wasn't any of the the issues that we'd had or we heard reported from other what from other what culture shows in the past and and that was good um i like the logo that sounds like i'm yeah. damning with faint praise i was going to say the actual branding of this yeah show, like the logo and the graphics i think are much better than the what culture designs let's say a- absolutely yeah um, and it's it's kind of interesting the direction they go. Again, you know, we'll we'll be putting up um, the interview we we had with Adam Cleary in terms of what the direction of what is they're trying to do, what they're doing at this point. Um, it's kind of interesting to to see what happens with them over the over the next year, mm-hmm. in particular. But there were some, you know, as with the start of any new promotion, there were some good, there's yeah. some bad, there's some downright strange um that i won't go into there's stuff that has potential yeah again i, I you know we we, we, we talked i mean uh, it's a company that have got a bad 
generally they've got a bad reputation, I think, yeah. at least between between hardcore fans. We talked at length about how much we enjoyed the the, the World Cup, or at least elements of it. That Osprey yeah. speedball match, I think, is going to be on all of our you know top lists for for match of the year. It's definitely in in consideration for me, anyway. Um, yeah. It was a bit strange that they got all that goodwill, then they've gone away. I know they had issues with the name. Um, they then came back as Defiance, which is unfortunately similar to to Defy Wrestling. Um, but hey, they're, they're starting to rebrand. They're trying to shed some of the some of the negatives, I suppose, of the of the what culture. Before you mentioned the fan base, I did see somebody uh, say that from a live report I don't think it was the show you were at but people were chanting are you ginger in disguise at Prince Amin so the the crowd aren't um, entirely uh, well behaved even if they are improving particularly well, they, they, they were going to a Roy Chubby Brown night or <laughs> I don't know I really don't know so I think I think they do have uh, some issues with the fan base and they've definitely got work to do um I think we with with rest with hardcore wrestling fans although maybe yeah. we're not what, yeah. what they're going for I don't know um what do you see as the future for them are you positive are you negative did it make you feel differently I mean I've got to say when I went to see the what culture tapings it mm-hmm. felt very much like a TNA taping which is a comparison I know you've made in the past thing. Joe yeah, no, I was about to say the exact same thing. Mm. You like your TV wrestling and you like TV style matches. It might be for you. Mm. At this point, I'm not so I'm not so big on TV style mm. wrestling personally. And there's so much content that I pick and choose a lot more that I'm going to watch in my own time at home. Um, so I can see that it might be for some people who are looking to feel like say a TNA void or want more. Uh, much shorter, more kind of basic, straightforward matches, which is fine. Um, there was a mix of character within those matches as mm-hmm. well. And there was a lot of character work and lots of different factions that were kind of built here and partnerships and the rest of it. So there's lots of kind of heel stables and teams that came together or exist on the shows as well. Yeah. So if you're into that sort of TV-focused wrestling approach, yeah, it might be for you. Um the, the fan base that were there on the night, I thought, were very TNA as well, let's just say. Um, a bit more casual, but while being casual, looking for something that isn't just WWE, say. Um, it was interesting, the number of the numbers in the crowd as well, probably 250, 300 there. Yeah. And it was kind of, it wasn't empty, but going to a couple of progress shows in the same venue the progress shows were much, much, much fuller. It was harder to get around at the progress shows. I think every time I went to the toilet, the progress shows um, that I've been to there, toilet was rammed uh, here. Like I went in the toilet like two or three times. There were like two or three other people in there. I don't know how much that represents, but <laughs> <laughs> that's at least stood out to me. Great dinner at the bar as well. For every drink, you buy a free bag of crisps. I was well in on that one. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure why that's relevant. But, yeah, uh, it, was, it felt like a very long day because it actually started at <laughs> half past six and ended at ten. And we were there for we there what, four. four? Yeah. But at the same time... a long time to spend in Birmingham. So, yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I suppose the thing is, I would advise those who are who are kind of curious to give it a go when the YouTube shows are out. I mean, they've got their on-demand service as well. But there is going to be a job because there is a, there is a stigma around what culture and there is a perception around it. And, you know, we've mentioned the sort of TNA comparison um, before where, you know, when you kind of get a, a bad taste in your mouth about a brand that can be difficult to do, they are sort of putting their good foot forward in terms of certainly rebranding themselves as a different type of company. 
Mm. But from a wrestling perspective, there is a lot of similarities from what we would you would have seen before at what culture shows. Yeah, and this being TV tapings, it wasn't a kind of work-rate show, let's just no. say, either. It was putting a lot of pieces in place, um, and it was setting up a lot of stuff going forward as well. Yeah. Mm, indeed. Okay, I think that uh, pretty much wraps us up. Uh, as you mentioned, we're going to uh, close with uh, some interviews that you guys managed to grab on the day. Uh, we have Stu Bennett, Adam Cleary uh, to follow on. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week. I'm expecting it will be recent on the 21st. We're looking at doing the best of British wrestling uh, for this year. We're going to have, we're excited for that one, aren't we, guys? We're going to have some uh, friends joining us, uh, Martin Bushby for one, uh, and a few other uh, surprise guests I'd expect to have on with us as well. You can check out the Indie Corner Twitter account as well for your chance to make your uh, voice heard with the Indie Corner Awards. Uh, that will cover both the UK and the US, um, but we'll be back on our podcast to talk our thoughts uh, on the UK, but also Ireland, Germany, um, and anywhere else in between in Europe that happens to come up. Uh, in the meantime, guys, uh, where can uh, people find you uh, on Twitter? Lemsip 4 ps JPGPE. J-I-P, three E's. Awesome. You can catch me on Twitter at Benson Richard E, and you can follow the Indie Corner Twitter account at the Indie Corner, and we'll catch you again next week. We're here with Adam Cleary, the Operations Manager for Defiant Wrestling. Um, Adam, how are you today? Uh, well travelled, uh, not well rested. Not well rested Not well all. rested, no. Show finished at about one o'clock last night, so had a McDonald's in bed, fell asleep watching The Punisher, and then got up at eight and came down <laughs> to Birmingham, which is nice. But part of the, part of the gig, I suppose. And how have you found in terms of... Because obviously you've gone from the rebrand, from... Uh, WCPW to Defiant how have you found that transition it's been what we were just talking about before it's been quite odd for us because obviously it's been in the works for a lot longer than it's been sort of public so it's 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 well worn in for us now the idea that this is Defiant it's not WCPW anymore um, so we were kind of a bit not nervous but a bit apprehensive about how the reaction was going to be at the, the proper relaunch but it it kind of it went really smoothly I think like it even we were worried whether Defiant even worked as a chant and we got it a couple of times on the night which is um, the most reassuring thing you could have heard um, yeah like the the storylines that carried over seem to have seem to have been quite seamless and the ones who started from scratch look to be finding their mark still very early days like it's very very this is the second show mm-hmm um, we'll not really know how well it's gone as a rebrand until a couple of months down the line where we can sort of compare, you know, attendances, viewing figures, that kind of thing. Um, but for now, the initial thing, yeah, it feels like it's, yeah, this is what we got away with. <laughs> Talking of uh, attendances and viewing figures, I was going to say when it comes to um, your distribution plans, mm. um, with obviously um, what happened with YouTube and the ad rates and the views and all the rest of it. Are you looking to monetize the company in a, any different way? Are there any different um, distribution channels you're looking to explore as Defiant rather than what, what culture we're doing with the YouTube stuff? Well, we've launched uh, Access Defiant, which is going to be the on-demand thing, whereas I think with, we had What Culture Extra, that was very much sort of 
the whole website package it was all kind of varying different types of content sort of more of the stuff we do on youtube bundled in with wcpw so mm-hmm. part of the reason we part of the reason we wanted to do the relaunch was because we felt that those two business models were not at odds but certainly felt very different like they didn't really connect anymore um mm-hmm. the promotion wasn't based on sort of the personalities on the channel it wasn't based on the content we were doing on the channel it very much was its own wrestling promotion so you know that now we that's sort of going to be our main uh, beyond sort of ticket sales and merch that's as most promotions do our on-demand service is going to be you know the main sort of driving force behind it it'll dictate you know what we can and can't do depending on how successful that is and we're gonna you know we'll be building our shows and our marketing around you know getting people towards that so the whole the whole idea with it is it's supposed to be conceptually self-sufficient as well as financially self-sufficient um but again very very early days on the success of either of those you still going to be using YouTube to distribute any of your content at all to try and get people in on the uh, on-demand side? Oh yeah, I mean the, the pay-per-view. I say pay-per-view last night. The launch show mm-hmm. last night was free on YouTube. Uh, we're going to be putting as much content as we can on YouTube. We're still very much going to be sort of YouTube first um, in return to what we do. But from a from a business point of view, the the, the main pillar is going to be the uh, the on-demand service. Um, but YouTube is it's why we're here. It's where we got all our fans initially. Um, they're you know the people the the good people of YouTuber who put us in a position to be able to do these shows so you know they have to be at the forefront of our minds in terms of what we're producing um, but yeah like as as much as we can put on YouTube for free we'll be on YouTube for free cool how have you thought about um, uh, in terms of your expansion because um, obviously Newcastle is is traditionally the home base um, you're here in Birmingham today you're looking at uh, Leeds and Leeds and London coming up as well is it a case of sort of testing the water? Have you got a very clearly defined markets that you think I'm going to go? We're going to go for for these areas first. It's a bit of both. I mean, when we first we did all our first shows in Newcastle, and it was hugely scary the first time we thought about doing it anywhere else. Because if you do a show, if you do like a few hundred capacity venue in Newcastle, even if nobody buys a ticket, everyone can bring ten or twenty friends. We knew it would be it would be fine. And I think it was. I'm going to get this wrong, but I think <laughs> Manchester was our first show away from Newcastle. And it, we had the same kind of response. The crowd was just as hot. They were as up for everything. We were so heartened to see there were people outside of just like our home base that were interested in this kind of thing. And everywhere we've gone so far, like we've been to uh, London. We've got London Leeds again. We've been there before. This is our first time at Birmingham. We've done Nottingham. We've done Milton Keynes. We've done Altrincham. We've done Berlin, Toronto, and Orlando now, and everywhere we've been, the response has been pretty consistent. Like, it's, we have a really, I don't know if it's the YouTube thing, but we have a really engaged sort of core audience who will come and see us wherever we are. And obviously, like, you know, I'm sure you know yourselves, you've got different parts of the country, crowds are slightly different, but yeah. by and large, we have pretty respectful, very engaged, um, really hot crowds. And um, yeah, again, we're very lucky to have, have those people. I was going to say, actually, regarding where you're going, um, where you're running and stuff, um, a lot of British wrestling companies are still sort of semi-regional in a way, um, whereas you guys seem to be sort of running nationwide. But where do you see Defiant in the sort of British wrestling sort of landscape? What sort of position do you think um, Defiant are in? Like, what do you think they mean to the British scene, if anything? I think purely geographically. Um, I think a reason a lot of promotions stay regional is because that's how they have to start they have to start in very small venues mm-hmm. you know in front of a, a few dozen people and they have to grow from there they've always got that core thing whereas with us launching with the youtube thing behind us it meant when we started even if our audience was small it was still a global one 
it might have been very thinly spread, which was you know, the biggest hurdle we had to get over was could we get enough people from across the world into one specific part of the world to come see a show. Um, in terms of where I see ourselves, I, th- I think every single week, every single month, we're, we're learning that. You know, we are still very new. This is only our second year. Um, I don't think even internally we sort of have a concrete position of where we see ourselves. I don't think we see a particular role that we feel we have to fill. It's just we... We found from a lot of our first couple of shows that it was a lot of people's first time at an indie show. Um, it almost became like it was a very accessible way for people to get in to indie wrestling. And have you seen the success a lot of the British guys have had over the last 12 months? If we've played, you know, a small part in that, like bringing them to an audience that maybe wouldn't have gone to a to a local show before that, you know, we'd be we would be thrilled if that was the role uh, we were sort of carving out for ourselves. But to be totally honest, I, I don't know where we are. I think it's it's not for us to decide, ultimately. From our perspective, I've often said you guys um, have kind of filled the void that was kind of left open when TNA uh, set over all their troubles. Because obviously they would do the tours over every January mm. and they'd get really big crowds. And I think you guys booking the likes of, say, Kurt Angle last year, or it was earlier this year, wasn't it? was like a real crossover because people were seeing like those names in the marquee and then they were getting into these guys like Will Ospreay, like Marty Skrull, Travis Banks as well when they were coming along to these shows. So I think, yeah, I think that's a quite a positive mm-hmm. step really. That was, that was a big learning curve we had because we, I think we got a bit, we got almost dizzy with, you know, who we could get when we first started. We did a very small show in Newcastle and we started putting the feelers out and we got recommended a lot of good local guys and we got them in. Then all of a sudden, like, you know, we can get Jay Lethal if you want. You can have Noam Dar if you want, and all these sort of big names. And before our first sort of set of shows had fully finished broadcasting, it was like, well, you can have Sand out if you want. And we were like, what? <laughs> and we, I think we got. Looking back on it, it, it all worked out really well. But I think maybe you know we, as anybody would do, we got a little bit carried away with who we could get and get all these big yeah. names. And we started to learn from doing these shows that you know we were you know we had Kurt Angle and Cody Rhodes on the poster, but people were walking away talking about like Osprey, Kirby, Connors. Hendry, like we were like, you know, there is, even if there's not the recognition coming through the door, there was this huge appreciation on the way out, and you know we've got guys like Mike Bailey now who, you know, came out to nothing the first few times we booked him. He's only really worked, you know, sort of away from here, and by the end of the night, people were like, wow. I'm a huge Mike Bailey fan. Yeah, the Lost Spray was awesome. Yeah. Such such a great match. That's why we put in that in the World Cup. We, um, you know, he was somebody who we wanted to give a real spotlight to in that because we knew no matter who we put him with, no matter how far he goes, he'll he'll be deserving of that spot. He will turn heads. He will drop jaws, and he did. I'd like that. We'd like to do that with everybody we can sort of, mm. you know, get a hold of. But I'm sure a lot of promotions have the same thing as well. We are here with Stu Bennett, who uh, some of you might remember as the as Wade Barrett. Um, he is the general manager of Defiant. Stu, how are you today? I'm fantastic, thank you. We had a great show last night in Newcastle, so very excited for today's show in Birmingham. First time I've been at this venue, so pretty excited to see what goes down. Excellent. Um, Stu, first question I wanted to ask you is, um, really, um, we've seen you in Defiant since uh, we saw you in WWTV, but what have you generally been doing with yourself since leaving WWE? Well, I left WWE about a year and a half ago, and I was really burned out by what I was doing. I was a little unhappy there, so it was time for me to move on. 
Um, and since I left, I've been doing um, a couple of acting roles. I've got a couple of movies coming out in the beginning of 2018. One's called Vengeance, which is an action movie. Uh, the other is called Fanged Up, which is a horror comedy. Um, so kind of moving into the, the acting world a little. Um, I've also recently hosted a TV show for Netflix, which I can't say too much about at the moment. They haven't made the announcement, but that was a cool new direction for me too. Um, and then on top of that, moving into things like working with Defiant Wrestling in uh, GM-type roles and commentary sure. and stuff like that. So giving the body a bit of a rest <laughs> and uh, using the, the voice a bit more. Are you generally looking to transition away from wrestling then and move into sort of the acting, the entertainment world outside of a kind of wrestling sphere, I take it? Well, I was wrestling for a long time, for about 14 years altogether, and wrestling I've always thought of as a young man's game. Um, That's not to say that I will never wrestle again, but I think inevitably it gets to a point where... um, you have to start looking outside of wrestling in order to have some sort of longevity unless I'm going to go into the role of being a trainer or setting up my own wrestling company or something like that which right now doesn't particularly appeal to me I need to start building some bridges into to outside world and stuff like that so to leverage whatever name I've got from the wrestling world to move into things like acting and TV hosting and stuff like that I think it's about as smart a thing as I can do right now so um, yeah anything I can do outside of wrestling is, is obviously interesting but then again there's always the itch to get back involved in sure, pro wrestling absolutely. that's obviously my first addiction right there so yeah, yeah. after a little break away and it's good to be back around the locker room back around the fans and stuff like that and Defiant Wrestling is a, just an awesome company and it's it's great to be involved there You've been, obviously, the last time you would have been working in Britain on a, on a regular basis, probably about 2006, 2007. Exactly. I'm imagining in that time, the entire landscape of wrestling in the UK must be an entirely different beast. What, what do you make of it since you've, since you've come back in and now are involved in, in the British wrestling scene? Yeah, it's great to see all the changes that happened since I've been away in the, the 10 years I've been gone in the US. Because as you mentioned, I was wrestling on the independent scene in kind of 2004 to 2007 and there really wasn't much going on if you drew a crowd of 100 people back then you were doing incredibly well and I think there was one person in the UK scene working on the indies who actually called wrestling his full-time job um, as a wrestler anyway and um, that was uh, Doug Williams and I think even he was only scraping by at the time but now you go around the locker room of Defiant Wrestling, and I'm, I'm sure a few other companies over here, and you'll meet seven, eight, nine guys who are all calling wrestling their full-time job. They don't do anything else. They wrestle four or five nights a week around Europe and Japan and, and the US and stuff. So it's amazing that you've probably got 50 to 100 guys in the UK alone who are now wrestling full-time as a job outside of TNA and, and Ring of Honor. Uh, sorry, TNA and WWE, which is really incredible. And I'd say on top of that, the standard of production for a company like Defiant the the kind of um, the setup they have here the buildings they get the um, the stuff they can put on their iPay-per-views and their their TV shows and stuff is just incredible and on top of that the the standard of wrestling in the ring is as high as I've ever seen anywhere in the world so um, you know it's it's amazing how much things have progressed and I think it speaks volumes to the advances in technology and the the ability to get a product across to the masses because we have fans watching Defiant Wrestling in Saudi Arabia and Japan and the US and stuff and, and obviously the income streams you get from that allows you to expand and, and bring in better talent and, and make better production in the end so it's uh, it's, it's a great thing for the business I was going to say as well sorry mate um, we haven't really seen you anywhere else but what culture now Defiant what was it that attracted you to Defiant specifically I'm assuming you had other offers from other companies all over the place but what is it about Defiant that 
attracted you to the company? Well, it was a couple of things. Um, when I first left WWE, I was very burnt out by the business. And as I mentioned, I just wanted a break. And sure. I did get a ton of offers from, from a lot of big companies. And obviously, I turned them all down. Um, and really, it was almost an accident that I got involved with Defiant Wrestling. Um, I came over here with a company called Inside the Ropes in, I think it was April this year. And I did a, a speaking tour. Um, and as part of that... Um, at the end of that it just so happened that What Culture Pro Wrestling were having a couple of shows and they were said look you want to come in on with us and do a little commentary and, and do a little promo work which I love doing and mm. I spoke to Drew Galloway who was working here as the champ at the time Cody Rhodes is another one and they said very good things so I thought you know what I'll give it a try so I came along I loved the experience I was kind of blown away by how advanced the company was because I was still stuck in 2007 mind frame of the <laughs> indies and I said you know what it ain't so bad after all so I wanted to do a bit more with them, and then they offered me some stuff with regards to being the general manager, which I took, and you know, it's been a, a great experience so far. So yeah, it's kind of a, an accident that I got involved, but it uh, worked out very well. I was going to ask, at any point there, did you ever get nostalgic? Because you did some um, shows for All Star and Brian Dixon, I'm, I'm assuming. How did it, f- do you ever think back and get sort of uh, nostalgic for those holiday camp shows and the like? Because I imagine it, like you hear the experience that um, a lot of guys, including Daniel Bryan, that, that they've got from, from doing those shows. How did you find do, doing those holiday camp shows? How do you think it helped you grow as a performer? Because when you, when you were on NXT TV, it was like you'd almost been in WWE for so long a period of time. You kind of knew exactly how it worked and I like to think does it ever come back from those early shows that you were doing in the UK yeah I do think about those shows a lot I mean when I was wrestling there it was my first time when I kind of progressed from the small independent wrestling companies to working for Brian Dixon all-star wrestling that was the first time I'd really wrestled in front of bigger audiences and when I say bigger audiences these were audiences probably between about 300 and 1,000 people which at that time was incredible um, but I, I don't look back thinking to myself that I really particularly enjoyed that time it was all about advancing my career and getting where I wanted to go to and I used to put a lot of pressure on myself back in those days because I was very inexperienced especially in comparison to the other guys in the locker room at the time you had guys like uh, James Mason and uh, Mikey Whiplash and um, Robbie Brookside and guys like that and I was nowhere near their level so I, I didn't I wouldn't necessarily say I enjoyed working there but I knew it was a process I needed to go through in order to get to where I wanted to go um, but in terms of nostalgia and I'm looking to go back there. I think I'd enjoy it a lot more if I went back now and the pressure would be off a little and I'd be a lot more relaxed. Um, but it's it's not something that's, that's on my agenda right now anyway. Of uh, <laughs> I was going to say as well, being here today and being back in the UK for these shows, what is there anything particularly you feel that you could bring to British wrestling at this moment in time in 2017, going into 2018 at all? Uh, do you mean in the ring? or? I mean in the ring, I mean outside the ring as well. Advice I think the younger guys. Yeah, I think you've brought a lot of eyes to the product as well. Yeah, I think I think that's really why they got in touch with me. I mean, the difference between Defiant Wrestling and a lot of the other bigger British companies is I think Defiant Wrestling has a bigger global fan base in terms of uh, people tuning into their channels and um, checking out their iPay-per-views and stuff like that. I think having me involved was something that allowed a global wrestling fan base who's familiar with me to turn into to tune into Defiant Wrestling so I think that's really what I brought to the company in the first place um, but on top of that obviously I've got a lot of experience of working with WWE you know 90% of my wrestling career has been working with them so I'm very 
in tune with what WWE specifically is looking for. So you'll get sure. certain guys here who have worked for top indie companies yeah. around the world like Ring of Honor and PWG and people like that. They will wrestle a style that I know nothing about. So if one of those guys comes to me and says, hey, what do you think of my match? I can't really break down how you make that style right. better because that's just not my not style it. and it's yeah. not somewhere I've ever really worked. But a lot of those guys also want to get to WWE. So I will be able to take it from the perspective of, hey, look, your match was great. The fans fans loved it. Clearly, they went off, you know, they went nuts over it. But from a WWE perspective, because I know you've got a tryout coming up or whatever it is, here's how you need to do that. When you hit that move, the last thing you want to do is pop straight up and do this. You know, just a lot of psychology yeah. and yeah. mechanics and stuff like that of how you need to work or transition into a WWE style and, and change your style and tailor it for your tryout or so to impress whoever it is. Away, can't you? Exactly. That's going. that's my my strength in terms of my experience so I'm not going to try and tell these guys how to go and get over in Ring of Honor I don't know I wouldn't yeah. know if you put me in a ring in Ring of Honor or PWG I'd be hopeless because it's just not my way of wrestling and that would be something that I would need to work on and develop in order to succeed there but in terms of um, tweaking things to a WWE style which to be honest with you 90% of the guys in the locker room want to get to WWE sure. which is understandable um, then that's where I can help people out Okay, Is there an appeal in um, you wrestling that style for any indie promotions or perhaps working in Japan at any point I don't know if that's anything that's uh, an ambition of yours or something you'd be tempted by at any point Yeah, I think so at some point um, whether it's you know, working for a specific indie company in America or Japan. Japan is certainly a big appeal because I've got a ton of friends who go out there and, and speak very highly of it. Um, obviously, Marty Skill, the champ here, speaks very highly of his experiences. Um, on top of that, Cody Rhodes is doing great things out there. So I've got a, a bunch of friends who speak highly of it. So maybe at some point I can see myself doing that if I do get back in the ring or when I get sure. back in the ring. But there's no timeline in terms of when that's going to happen, that's for sure. Cool.